1: So for this morning's moment in interesting broadcasting, um, my, uh, uh, and I'm trying to gain up a little higher on my microphone, speaking a little bit further away from it. Hopefully that'll make for a better, a better, more quality vocal response, as they say. Anyway, so I couldn't shut my TV off. I think the remote's running out of battery power. It was so frustrating because the volume's on, and it's like, oh, do I have to talk over this thing? This is crazy, right? Well, eventually, uh, I guess there was just enough battery power left. To, uh, to turn it off. So I've turned off my, my One American News, Newsmax, and uh, whatever else I can get um, before the show. was <laughs> kind of interesting. So there's a ton of news. There's just so much going on, which is great. I mean, it's really, like I said, the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Uh, we're living in oppressive times. But there is hope, uh, because there was a fabulous hearing yesterday. Now I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know if the geldings actually are going to get their act together and go for criminal prosecution, but uh, the folks at Twitter are guilty at least, at least, of election fraud. Uh, for throwing the election uh, to Joe Biden uh, in terms of voter suppression, suppression of information, all the things that the uh, the Democrat Marxists accused the Republican geldings of doing, they're doing. And so they're doing a lot of it. <laughs> it's really kind of interesting um, to watch this happen. So anyway, the arrogance, the just unbridled hubris of these people to sit there and say, well, we were just uh, – uh, following safety, we have to get rid of disinformation. Of course, all the Republicans are like, "Who are you? Who, who are you? To judge what's information, what's disinformation?" Uh, some of the better lines, I think it was uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene or or no, some, or uh, someone else. Um, Nancy, I think it was Nancy Mace, a uh, Congresswoman, who said, are, "Are you? Are you a doctor?" Well, no. Said So you felt it was okay to, to censor the speech and the information of the American people of, of the best trained doctors from the best you know, institutions of medical knowledge in the world, you know, Stanford, Harvard, places like that? And, of course, there's no answer, right, because they're just following their ideology. These people, their ideology is stronger than their, their, their commitment to uh, knowledge, truth, science, and everything else. It's the ideology that rules them, and they really gave it away. When this one guy, uh, the, the 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 twee little metrosexual guy at the end of the of the panel, who um, was talking about the UN Declaration of Human Rights, see so this is where a lot of the evil comes from uh, in terms of the elimination of rights. Is these people have an allegiance to the world government? These are globalists, and they're they're not uh, you know um, American firsters. They're not even constitutionalists. They're globalists. Now the UN Declaration of Human Rights for anybody that wants to know, first of all, read it. Um, what you'll find when you read it. Uh, is that this document is collective. I mean, it's all about the collective. Human rights are not individual rights. Okay, I'm going to say that right now, human rights are not individual rights. Specifically, they're not individual rights because they look at humanity as a group. You know, as a group, you're entitled to basically everything that anybody else has. That's what the the UN Declaration of Human Rights says. It's a redistribution plan. It's an equity plan. It's a plan that says that rich nations have to fund poor nations. You know, poor nations that got that way because they didn't have freedom has to be funded by rich nations who, you know, are going to lose their freedom, you know, in order to pay for the poor nations that didn't have it. Well, that's just crazy. Freedom brings prosperity. Everybody knows that who looks at any economic system, the quickest way to prosperity for your people is freedom. The the way to short circuit that is corruption. So what we have now is corruption. What we have now in our country is a government chosen by the government. And I don't know if nobody else seems to say that for some reason, but this is the situation right now. The government chose the government. This is a stolen administration. This is a criminal administration. This is a coup. Our government was seized by the powerful within the government to take it over and eliminate the vote. So everybody who's in power now is guilty of, of uh, election fraud, of voter suppression, of, of crimes, all kinds of crimes, high crimes, misdemeanors, you name it, uh, besides the constitutional violations. Now, they, the people are still saying, well, Twitter is a private company. They can, they can censor. Well, that's like saying restaurants in the Democrat South could block black people because it's a private company. It's a bunch of nonsense. Anything that's open to the public. If you're open to the public, there's something called public accommodation, which means you have to honor customers that come in for the products that you offer. Now, you can't go demand sushi from a pizza place because they don't offer that product. That is stupid. In the same way, you cannot demand a gay wedding cake from a, from a bakery that's Christian that only bakes uh, you know normal wedding cakes, marriage cakes. OK, oh, yeah, I said those words intentionally. All right. Because there's a difference between, the, between a, a, a gay wedding and, uh, and a marriage. OK, and we've talked about this before. But the point is that you can't demand something of somebody that they don't offer. On the other hand, a company cannot refuse something that they do offer. And this is the problem with Twitter. Twitter engaged in segregation. Twitter violated civil rights. They violated Title 18 uh, section 241, conspiracy against rights. When, and I've said this before, I've got this to memory now, when two or more people conspire to oppress the exercise or enjoyment, exercise or enjoyment of any constitutional right. That's a felony, and it comes with jail, and it comes with massive fines. So these people, these people need to go to jail for what they did. And on top of that, they need to serve their term, uh, and these, these should be served consecutively, okay? So you want cons- consecutive, see, if, if the term in jail is concurrent, that means they serve it together, all right? If it's consecutive, they serve one term for one crime, then they serve the next term for the next crime, okay? So I, I believe in consecutive terms for, for this because it is so evil, and they're so arrogant. They don't even know what they've done. They're not repentant. You know, they're, they're not confessing their sins. They're not going up there and saying, oh, gee, I'm so sorry. I can't believe it. I was, I was lost in the ideology. I, I, it was just the environment we're in. I, I couldn't help myself. I, I had to censor. that. They, they told me to. My, my job was at stake. Or I was just following orders. At least, at least come up with the Nuremberg defense. they were just following orders. You know, I mean, but they didn't even do that. They just sat there and said, well, we're in the safety committee. We're responsible for safety. Well, what is safety? Safety for what? Well, safety for their ideology. That's what they're talking about. They have to make the world safe for their Marxist, globalist, totalitarian, godless ideology. That's what this is all about. That's what the Safety Committee is all about. That's why there were so many foreign nationals working at Twitter. You want the fewest amount of Americans possible. Why do you think Brandon and crew are, you know, or at least people who run Brandon? So the question is not, you know, who's running for president in 2024. The, the question is, who's running the person who's running for president in 2020 uh, on the Democrat side? That's what it's all about. You know, it's not who, you know, th- that's the question. That's the question we need to ask. Not who's going to be president, but who's running the president. That's the question for the Democrat side, because we know Trump's going to be, uh, first of all, I, I'm, I'm pretty well assured, 99.9% sure he's going to get in, but there's always the chance the Democrats will steal it again and the Republicans will let them. And so that's how things work around here. It's fascinating. Um, I'm kind of surprised that the Democrats didn't steal the House again. Now, I know that sounds kind of cynical, but well, it is. Uh, but think about that. Why didn't, you know, they, they really screwed up. The Democrats screwed up this time. They didn't steal the House. Now, did they think they were going to win the House? You know, because, you know, in 2018, they overturned seven, uh, I mean, overturned criminally, you no, know, not, not legally, but uh, there were seven House seats in, in California, maybe one or two in Arizona and Nevada. I'm not sure, about it, but the, the vast majority were in California. And what they did was they truckloaded um, ballots. After the election, after it was counted, after it was announced that the Republican candidates won, then the Democrats would bring in pickup trucks full of ballots that they <clears throat> found. <laughs> okay. so And they were actually counted, which is ridiculous. You never count ballots after the election's announced and after the polls close. You, you never count a ballot after the polls close. If it's not there by the time the polls close, you're done. I'm sorry. You can't truck in made-up ballots and go, oh, sorry, we found more. And they always found just enough to have the Democrat win. Gee, like that's not suspicious? Okay. So the House was stolen in 2018. The Geldings let them. And all those impeachments and all the things that Nancy Pelosi and the, and the Marxist Democrats did that were evil was allowed by the geldings because they allowed the House to be stolen. Same thing happened in 2020. House was stolen again. I'm convinced that the Republicans won that race, but I don't have as much evidence as I do for 2018. 2022, they didn't steal the House. And I, like I say, I'm kind of surprised, you know, because they're good at it now. They know how to steal an election. Obviously, they did. They know how to manipulate the press. Well, most of the press is Democrat. They know how to come up with fake committees. The January 6th committee was a total fraud. They know how to do that. So now they're suffering all kinds of grief, unless they think it's not going to go anywhere. See, it's one thing for, for the, uh, um, the gelding old party to, to splutter and, and whine you know, like little babies and complain about all the things that we know are true. It's another thing to actually have con- to arrest these people okay? and then have them uh, convicted of their crimes. That's that's a whole different situation. So that's that's the that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the, the chicken meets the egg, or whatever your, you know euphemism uh, metaphor you want to call it. But the truth is, it doesn't count until somebody's arrested, prosecuted, and thrown in jail for what they did. Twitter through the election, and you have to go to to Google, and you have to for suppressing information of search engines. I mean, we really need an entire set of crimes. I mean, election integrity has to extend to social media, and a uh, big check on what's done there. But if you deny Americans information that causes them to change their vote, that's just, that's stealing their vote. OK, it's the same thing as if you stole the ballot and ballot harvested. It's exactly the same. If you do, if you deny the information that allows people to make an honest decision, you've stolen their vote. And that happened. I'll tell you, one of the worst cases was in California, where if you look up the uh, you used to look up the California Republican Party and Google had it set up. So it went to the American Nazi Party. That was the first thing on the list. Right. And uh, that's. Fraud. That's information fraud. Do we have a new category of information fraud? Let me see. I don't know write this down. Information fraud, intellectual fraud. So information fraud is where you deny or change information. Information fraud, or let's call it intellectual fraud. Intellectual, intellectual fraud. Boy, you should see my notebook. I go through all this stuff you know, after the show sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I forget because there's so much happening now. I'm, I'm kind of uh, trying to recoup. I was going to look over, over the National uh, Emergency Act to do that for today, but you know, I get, I get tied up and stuff because there's so much going on. So the hearings were fascinating yesterday. So as soon as the show was over, I, I uh, turned them on. But the key to, to, to watching the hearings, if you want to watch a hearing, you want to do it properly. First thing you do is you don't watch it live. <laughs> okay. The reason is because they have Democrats that, that, that spout nonsense. And it really it's, it's upsetting and it's a total waste of time. So what you want to do, and I wish the, the geldings, the gelding if they, they had a brain, they'd do this. So you take the hearing, you make a video, you edit out all the Democrats, and that's the one you put forward. So that, that's, the, that's the way to watch the hearing. So if you, if you if the, because the geldings don't do that. Well, I think they actually, I wonder if they have. It seems to me I remember something about that, but I, I can't, uh, I can't be positive. Anyway, so what you want to do is you want to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. What you want to do is you want to find a recording of the hearing. Now, I've got it on my, my sites, my Facebook page. Uh, it's on our election integrity page. It's on our, our legal page, uh, action radio integrity, election integrity, action radio, radio legal. We've got a bunch of, we've got like 21 groups, I think now. Anyway, um, so, or just find one. just go to Rumble or, or YouTube, find a recording. Uh, one of the better ones is actually NPR because <laughs> they, they're, they're, they're paid for by us, so I don't mind using their services. I um, kind of think of it as like a reimbursement. So NPR had a great recording. They just let it run because they don't care. They don't have commercials, so they can just let it run. So you get the NPR recording and uh, watch that, but edit out the Democrats. And so every time a Democrat speaks, you know, skip ahead five minutes, and that's how you watch it. First of all, it'll take half the time as the regular hearing, and you'll get the good stuff. <laughs> There's no reason to do anything else. All right. So what I, what I wrote down here, the, so the other big news, of course, uh, is the State of the Union. The State of the Union sucks. I mean, it really does. Completely sucks. But that, that's okay with the government. And so this is a theme I've talked about before, that when the government chooses the government, and that's exactly what happened here. The government chose the government. We are operating in a situation where the government picked the government, and the government allowed the government to pick the government. So the people who picked the government are the Democrats, the Marxists. The people who allowed this are the Republican-controlled opposition known as the Geldings. So you've got two parties, Marxists and Geldings. And so the, the Geldings just sit back and watch it happen. Uh, and they're happy because they get their, their power prestige and they get a little bit of stuff. Now, there's a few people in the Republican Party that are actually doing something, and that's what was evident at the hearing yesterday. Nancy Mace, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Jim Jordan, uh, Paul Gosar. Uh, there's another um, representative, uh, Gomer, I, I might pronounce his name wrong, or Comer, C-O-M-E-R. Uh, so there's, a, there's about 20 people in the House Freedom Caucus, basically. I didn't hear Matt Gates. I don't know if he's on the oversight committee. He might not be. I know he's on judiciary. But see, that's what has to go next. It has to go to judiciary to press charges you know, against these people. And so uh, will, they, will they have charges against them during the, the, uh, the insurrection of Brandon? No. But they will bring Trump. See, this is why it's so critical to get Trump in. Um, because you take any other moderate, squishy Republican, even Ron DeSantis, you know, he'll be on-the-job training if he becomes president. So his first term is going to be a a series of mistakes. Well, we don't have time for that. This is why Trump has to win this time, and then we can have Ron DeSantis, you know, do the the on-the-job training once the country's back in in decent shape. But Trump knows all the mistakes he made the first time. He's had four years to think about it, and now he can come back and fix a lot of stuff. Let's hope he will. Now, the jury's still out on whether he's going to uh, do the big mea culpa for, uh, for all his COVID problems for being lied to, being let those people lie to him and not have fired everybody from Dr. Fascist on down. So we're still waiting on that. That's still that's a, that's a doubtful point, but again, nobody's perfect. So would I take Trump with his bad COVID policy and if he's too arrogant to uh, admit he's screwed up? Yes, I would. Would I rather he admitted he screwed up and, and then get that out of the way and then move on? Yes, I would. We'll see what happens. You know, but either way, I'm going to be supporting Trump. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be uh, working, hopefully with the Trump campaign directly I mean, that's my goal here is to be able to take our citizen legislation and uh, get it directly to them. Now, there's some things going on behind the scenes where all the action really is. <laughs> we just talked about it here. The real action is when I'm off the air. And so we have amazing guests coming. Uh, we have uh, connections, you know, out there that uh, I'm not going to tell you until it's real, until it's, it's confirmed. But uh, this, is, this is not a passive uh, radio station. This is not a place you listen. Uh, and just, you know, I mean, I'm not here for, yeah, I like ratings, okay? I love, you know, the more listeners, the better, obviously. But that's not the goal. This is an activist show. Our show is to get stuff done. This is not here just to generate advertising revenue and make the, the stockholders rich. First of all, we don't have any. <laughs> Secondly, um, that, this, is, this is a new kind of radio. This is, this is action radio, completely different than talk radio. Talk radio is all about talking. And in talk radio, the whole purpose of talk radio is to build an audience and create advertising revenue. That's what they do. If you look at any talk show host, they'll tell you that's what that's the job. In fact, I used to have a, a friend of mine, Jeff Metcalf. He, he openly admitted this on the air. He said, he's, he said, my job is to build an audience, you know, to increase advertising revenue. That was his job. And in doing that, he would talk about, I mean, what he talked about was really good stuff. You know, in fact, I hope to have Jeff back on. Uh, but he would talk about the controversies and, the, and the, the issues, and he would talk about it in a bold way. And he was part of the Patriot Movement, which I'm, I'm going to try and resurrect and see where they are uh, and get in contact with them. But the purpose of it really was uh, for him. It was activism. So he was an action host without being an action host because he didn't actually sponsor legislation, write legislation, do the things that we do here, which he actually has a great amount of respect for. But he said that on the air. Building an audience is what it's all about. That's his job, to increase advertising revenue. Okay? Well, I'd love to have some advertising revenue. In fact, more of it. You know, we're on our way, but we're not there yet. You know, so anybody who wants to sponsor the show, you can get in touch with me. Greg at WriteYourLaws.com. There's a reason that I have uh, the commercials that we do play. And most of those are affiliates, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get a bigger program here soon. You know, so uh, hopefully we'll get some local sponsors in here. And so, we, and, we, and this is interesting, like the mission of the show, we try to cover local issues. Yesterday we had Chris Kerb on talking about flooding. And that's a huge problem. It rained all morning, by the way. <laughs> For those of you that don't think that's a problem, it just rained all last, last night and this morning. This is Florida. I'm glad to say the humidity is back. I'm one of those rare individuals that actually enjoys humidity. I can't stand dry heat. That's what used to drive me uh, crazy about California. You get outside the Bay Area, you know, it's all dry. It's like crispy desert dry because California's a desert. It is. And they get water, but only because they, they raid the Colorado River like, you know, a bunch of other states, you know, reducing it to a trickle <laughs> by the time it's done, uh, which is another start. Water is the big story out west. But the only reason that uh, California was toler- tolerable was because I was under fog, you know, in San Francisco. The whole San Francisco Bay Area is under fog. Well, it's actually a low stratus layer, but nobody says, oh, look, it's the San Francisco low stratus layer. You know, they say, look, it's a San Francisco fog, even though it's about 500 to 1,000 feet up, depending on, on what's going on. It's fun to fly through. for, for uh, When I was instructing, it's great for, for private pilots to fly through a little fog just to get an idea what it's like in the clouds, because we do that all the time. We, we take them, we get a clearance, um, an instrument uh, clearance, and we take off. And in fact, one of my favorite students who soloed. Right. So here's, I actually had it arranged for his father ahead of time to watch the solo. We sold it out of Livermore. So we flew out of Oakland. That's where the flight school was. But there was a layer. And I didn't want to disappoint his dad. And I wanted to have some fun with the student. And it was, you know, it was a, a perfectly approved procedure. We did it quite frequently at Oakland because it was a great experience. So you, you get what they call an instrument clearance or an IFR, instrument flight, flight rules clearance. So it's a, you know, basically IFR to VFR because we knew the, the fog was only about 500, 800 feet thick. Right, so basically, is have takeoff, fly straight and level, in a, or actually fly in a climb, uh, maybe make a turn, and yeah, you have to turn the the, the the VOR, the navigation device, make about a 30 degree turn to the right, follow out a radial, which is an electronic beam, which is one degree wide because they have 360 degrees in a circle. So you follow your radial uh, out from the Oakland VOR, the vertical omni range, and off you go. And then as soon as you pop out of the clouds on top, okay, we're visual again. Yep, thank you. Cancel clearance. Off we go. And so I had a student. It was great. So we took off early morning. We go through the clouds, and uh, he's he's doing great, all right? Now, he pretty much knows he's going to solo this day. He didn't know his dad was out at the field, and I wasn't going to put that pressure on him. Uh, So we took off. We flew through the clouds. Climbed up, flew to Livermore, did a couple of touch and goes to get them all warmed up. I hopped out of the airplane, signed his logbook, and went up to the tower. Uh, I don't think his dad was there at that point, but I went and I always go, I always used to go to the tower with my students because I wanted to be there in case something happened. A lot of students sit on the ground and watch. Well, that's kind of useless. You can't do anything from there. So I said, "Look, I'll be in the tower. If, if worse comes to worse, talk to me. I'll be right there." Oh, okay. You know, so, but n- nobody ever had. Nobody ever did. They're, they're having too much fun when they... By the time my students soloed, they were ready for it. You know, it was not really an issue of uh, doing it in the minimum hours or any of that kind of stuff. Because from solos, they went right to solo cross countries. So these people were really prepared when they actually did solo, which is fly three takeoffs and landings, you know, do the pattern. You fly around a big, uh, big rectangle in the sky. Uh, and anyway, so as of the tower... Did three takeoffs and landings, and I came down, and I said, hey, I got someone who's uh, been watching you. And this guy's dad comes over. Oh, it was great. It was great to watch this. But that, that's, one of, that's one of my favorite moments of, uh, I think, probably the this, this first solos were my favorite moments in flight instruction, simply because uh, just the joy on people's faces. Uh, and I brought back the old uh, idea of, of trimming the shirt tails. So, in fact, my flight school, we had the entire ring uh, cause everybody else started too, the, the young hotshot instructors, you know, from the Embry riddles and the aviation colleges, they, they would teach there too, this is in Concord and uh, do this as well. And I think we did Oakland too. Anyway, so you cut the shirt tail, uh, off the back of the person and people would mark it, sign it. And then somebody's got really elaborate. They bring in like these oil paint things and they do creative airplanes and stuff. It, it was really fun. Um, and so, uh, and we have women's sell too, so you had to be careful when you're trimming the women's shirts. We don't want to get too, uh, outrageous. Although one time I goofed, but that's another story too. Anyway, but it was fun. It was, it was fascinating. It was great. And so I want you, to, everybody, at least take one flying lesson, you know, um, before you get too old to take a flying lesson, because it's really fun. All right. So speaking of San Francisco, the next thing I, I was thinking about was the earthquake in Turkey. Now, anybody that went through the San Francisco earthquake, as I did, knows that the most important thing is the condition of the soil, the geology, and the condition of the buildings. Are they up to earthquake code? And so for most of San Francisco, it's granite. It's, it's uh, bedrock granite. Yeah, it shakes, but granite's kind of solid, <laughs> so it'll shake, but it's not going to collapse on you. Um, the area that had the most damage was reclaimed land. But the, you know, the, Basically, they, they dumped a bunch of sand. They dug out stuff, and they dumped all this soil uh, and sand to push the bay out a little further, and so they built the marine district uh, on sand. Well, guess what happens to sand in an earthquake? There's a process called liquefaction. It's another one of those words like, what was that word that, uh, the, yeah, flocculants, that was the word from yesterday. So flocculants are things that allow sediment to bind together so you can get them out of uh, stormwater ponds more easily. So that's the word I learned yesterday. Today the word I'm going to teach you is liquefaction. So liquefaction is when the soil basically liquefies. So in an earthquake, especially when it's near water, when the, uh, the fault uh, moves, and, and I've forgotten which one, either the Pacific plate or the North American plate moves. And they're, Or they're, maybe they both move, but they're passing by each other along the San Andreas Fault, which runs, uh, I guess, uh, all the way up to Alaska pretty much. But the major portions that we know, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, probably New Mexico too. So on the on the left side, the west side is the Pacific Plate. On the east side is the North American Plate. Well, I used to know all this when I was a tour guide, but if I remember, the Pacific Plate is moving in. The North American Plate is kind of like sliding under it. And that's, But that pressure on the North American plate from the Pacific plate, which is much bigger, much bigger, is pushing up the West Coast mountains. So the West Coast mountains are actually rising slowly, but they're rising. This is what made the, uh, uh, the Continental Divide, the Rockies, uh, the Sierra Mountains, and the Coastal Mountains. And they're all caused by pushing. The Pacific Ocean plate is pushing into the North American plate. And the only place for land to go is up (laughs) you know can't go down because you can't go into the earth so it goes up. right that's what do you think created the himalayas india slammed into asia you know that's why the himalayas are the border between india and asia ever hear about the stories of the the flying tigers flying over the hump that was the hump the hump was created when india hit asia and kept going (laughs) okay the uh the rocky mountains the sierras and the coastal mountains of california happened because the Pacific plate, I think, ran into the North American plate, and it's still going. So, uh, but this is all fascinating stuff. Anyway, so the point of this was that the San Francisco earthquake, there's no warning for an earthquake. Although I've told the story, when I was a tour guide, we would joke about earthquake weather. (laughs) There's no such thing. Uh, uh, Let me just briefly, how that works is, I get a fellow tour guide, we'd be at one of those tour guide stops because they had the hop-on, hop-off buses, and they basically took over the business and ruined it for the rest of us. Uh, It was one of the reasons I got out of the tour guide industry, because all the fun was over. And I was there when I, I was at a really good time. I was a duck driver. I was a motorized cable car driver. Uh, I, the tours were magic. Some of those were just absolutely unbelievable moments. Uh, but it, all the fun took, got taken out when the city uh, made us, you know, turn down the volume on our speakers so we couldn't talk to people on the side of the road. Uh, and then the people on board couldn't hear us. Uh, when the hop-on, hop-off buses basically took away all the business because people thought that was better. And when app uh, apps came out that basically gave people a guided tour, you know, and then of course Google, you have the twelve-year-old smartass on board that googles everything you say to fact-check you. <laughs> you know, Excuse me, Mr. Driver, you forgot to mention this. Okay, young brat, why don't you step to the front and give the rest of the tour?
0: <laughs> you know, it
1: was really funny. Parents like Ew, you need to control your kid. <laughs> Actually, I didn't have to say that; the other parents would say that. Hey, shut your damn kid up! Anyway, so that's so that that was the end of tour guiding. I mean, it really, is, it's it's a it's a done business because there's so many other. Uh, uh, things going on that basically taking away the fun. But anyway, so we get a couple of tour guys, and we stand out, you know, by a tour bus with lots of people waiting to go. And we just kind of casually, we pretend that you know, we put them at our backs. We pretend that we didn't notice all these people were behind us. We look up at the sky on, on like a cloudy, humid day. And we didn't get a lot of them, but this is why we was so much fun. So on a warmish, cloudy, humid, overcast day, we'd look up and one of us would go, you know what? Looks like earthquake weather. <laughs> and the other tour guy would go, you know what? I think you're right. And then we'd walk away. <laughs> and then we'd look back at the crowd. Of course, they're all talking to each other. They're, they're texting. They're on their phones. They're going crazy. Oh, no. They said it was earthquake weather. Then, of course, they'd hop on board and explain the big joke. Ha, ha, ha. They thought it was, they, they didn't think it was funny, as funny as we did, needless to say. But the serious part about this is that after the 1906 earthquake, there are very strict earthquake codes in San Francisco because so many people died, mostly because of fire. Fires, just like in a hurricane, it's not the wind that kills you. It's the water. We talked about flooding yesterday. In an earthquake, it's not the earthquake that kills you; it's the fire. Because what happens when an earthquake hits? The first thing that happens is the water mains break. <laughs> All the water pressure is gone, so you can't fight the fire. No, fire hydrants don't work. There's no water pressure, so whatever the fire truck doesn't have on board—that's, I mean, that's that, that's it. That's most fire trucks are basically a pump. They hook up to the fire. Uh, they hook up to the fire hydrant. And that connects to the fire engine, and the engine pumps water, and that's how they put out the fire. Well, if there's no water pressure, there's nothing to hook up to. So the first thing that happens in an earthquake is the water mains break. The second thing that happens in an earthquake, and it probably happens about the same time, is the gas lines break. Now, those people are going, see, we shouldn't have gas stoves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, right. Screw you. <laughs> that's not the problem. All right? The problem is the fact that you got if the buildings are at code, then you don't have to worry about it. So the gas mains break, and invariably a fire gets started. Well, electrical fires start too. So I don't think you're all exempt just because it's gas, just because people have gas dose, but the gas lines do break and the city fills with gas. And all it takes is a spark somewhere. And there's always a spark somewhere. One engine backfire or something, you know, somebody lights a cigarette, boom. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, there's, there's uh, any, any open flame and you've got a fire and you've got a fire. And, and the other problem is wooden buildings. Okay. So you combine a water main break, a gas main break, and wooden buildings and you've got a fire and that's exactly what happened in the marina district in san francisco and so the buildings collapse because of liquefaction so then the other thing again we mentioned earlier liquefaction so the soil turns to mush when when earthquake goes through sandy soil especially if water's nearby the water and the sand kind of infuse together and it becomes mud and so the buildings sink and then you got them collapsing, and then you got the water mains and the gas mains collapsing, and the fires start and the sinking buildings, and it's a mess. So the marina district was a mess. Now, most of San Francisco was pretty well okay, but the buildings in the marina district collapsed, so everybody heads down to the marina to gawk, which they did. I actually went a few days later. I didn't, I didn't want to gawk at the time. I didn't want to be in the way. Um, but when I did see it, it was, it was quite shocking. And so there's still pictures. I still have a, the newspaper from that day. I have still got the uh, uh, October. I guess it would have been 17th. So I got the October 18th, 1989 edition. It's kind of on my wall. <laughs> it's sort of like a memorial uh, of that time. Anyway, because um, it was it was it was fascinating, terrifying, and all the other good stuff. So when an earthquake hits, it usually gives you a few seconds of, uh, oh wow, it looks like we're feeling an earthquake, and then the main jolt hits you will like, say, oh. Jesus, God, we're in an earthquake, you know, and uh, I happened to be in San Francisco. I was, uh, I had to throw my, uh, I was practicing guitar. I had to throw my guitar on the bed, you know, and I had to uh, run between the doors and brace myself in. Now, I, I've told the story of how I, the I, so one day I wasn't at flight school. I should have been, I would have been normally, I didn't know I should have been, but I would have been normally under the freeway that collapsed. So I know all about this, this collapsing stuff. All right. Uh, and, and just, and they say there, but for the grace of God, I mean, I absolutely believe that. Um, if I wasn't, you know, that religious before, I certainly was afterwards, that I was purposely told not to come in on the one day I would have been under the cypress structure freeway that collapsed in Oakland, which was badly designed. The engineers knew it was going to collapse in an earthquake. They let it go ahead anyway because they were corrupt. And the government officials probably forced them to. And this building collapsed and over 60 people died and hundreds were injured. Hundreds and hundreds of people were injured. And it was all totally needless. Right? There's no reason for it. They knew it was was badly built. They knew it was going to collapse in an earthquake, and it did. Now, the good place, the the place that actually worked out exactly as planned, was the Oakland Bay Bridge. One section of the Oakland Bay Bridge collapsed, and the section that collapsed was the part that was designed to collapse. So one panel of one of the, the, the sections, a small section of the Oakland Bay Bridge, built in 1936, was engineered that if an earthquake ever hit, a major one hit, one section would break, and that would take the stress off the rest of the bridge, and it did. Now, I think a couple of people died there. You know, because they they, they fell into the water. Uh, It's a long way up. Trust me, (laughs) the bridge is way up there. But the point is that the bridge did exactly what it was intended to do. That one section gave way. It lost a couple of lives, but it saved thousands of lives on that bridge. And also, here's the other thing that saved thousands of lives. It was a World Series game between Oakland and San Francisco. So everybody was at uh, Candlestick Park. It's gone now. But uh, most of the Bay Area was there. And the game started at 5 o'clock, and the earthquake hit at 5.04. And so people weren't on the, on the roads commuting. They'd already gone home to watch the game where they were at the stadium. So instead of the normal commute on that Tuesday, October 17th, 1989, uh, everybody was at the baseball park or watching on a, on a screen. So the loss of life was reduced by untold thousands there too. So it was a lot worse than people think, um, but because of certain factors, the engineering on the Bay Bridge uh, and the fact that there was a World Series game, uh, just maybe hundreds of thousands of lives were saved. But I say tens of thousands maybe thousands. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing at this point. But the loss of life under the cyber structure was completely needless. And the reason it was because it was a bad design. Okay, fast forward to Turkey. So Turkey, when Turkey had 1,500, 3,000, 5,000, 7,000, however many people were killed, I knew immediately that the big problem was bad building codes, bad structures. They didn't reinforce their buildings with steel. They didn't have the rebar. Uh, they didn't. These are all concrete. Now, concrete's the worst thing for a for an earthquake zone, because it's completely rigid. There's no give to concrete. Wood actually isn't bad. The problem with wood in an earthquake is not the fact that it can't withstand the earthquake. Wood is one of the best things in an earthquake because it has give to it. Steel does too. You can move steel a little bit. Steel has a give to it. You know, Otherwise, swords would break. You know, But swords can, can, can bend and whip around, and uh, there's a spring to it. Metal has a spring to it. OK, wood has give. Otherwise, the wooden sailing ships, every storm would have uh, broken apart into a million pieces and sunk. You know, and all, all the sailors would have died. But they didn't because the wood had give to it. So they built give. That's how they bend the wood to, to form the ships in the old days. Steam. So they they'd actually take straight wood, straight trees, and, and make them into curvy ships with a bow and a stern and all the other stuff. Well, that's because wood has give to it because you can move it. You can bend it. So the problem with wood in the earthquake is not the, uh, the earthquake. It's the fire afterwards. I'm really on a roll here today. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even gotten my articles yet. This is going to be interesting. Um, but in Turkey, I knew that as soon as they had uh, all those buildings collapse and all those people died and all those people were trapped under there, I knew it was the construction. So Turkey is not living up to decent earthquake building codes, and they should have. Because I was reading an NPR article, yeah, it must have been an NPR role, that in 2000, they had a major earthquake and all the building codes were changed. What they didn't do, what they should have done, what San Francisco did, was they made the old buildings retrofit. Looks like the new buildings after 2000, after they changed the earthquake codes, have rebar. This is, this is a good Pianchi question. I'm sure he'll join us at some point this morning. But they've got to have rebar, which is the steel within the concrete. The steel gives a little bit of give to it. gives a little flexibility just enough. In an earthquake, the building is not going to just instantly collapse. A pure concrete building in an earthquake is going to collapse. The pillars give way, the supports give way, and the floors can crash and down on top of each other. Pancake style. That's what they call it. And that's when those people died. And there's no need for it whatsoever. Uh, they just didn't care. They didn't have the earthquake codes. They didn't have the building re- reinforcement. They didn't do the retrofits. Well, retrofits are expensive. Well, how much is the cost of human life? Okay, so I don't care what it costs. Either, either condemn the buildings, tear them down and build new ones, or fix the old ones. I mean, that, that's the only honorable choice. Now, for anybody that's been to San Francisco and bound to Fisherman's Wharf, the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory is a pre-1906 building. It was built in the 1800s. Now, they don't actually make Ghirardelli chocolate there anymore. It's now over in Oakland. I know. I lived about a mile from the Ghirardelli chocolate. factory, real one, right? And so when they roast the cocoa beans, you'd walk out your door, you know, on the way to work and just breathe in this wonderful aroma of cocoa. And then, of course, you'd, you'd, if it was a weekend. You'd head down immediately. But if it was like a work day, you'd come back at the end of the day and hit the... Uh, uh, the, the the store uh, whatever they called it the the, the Overstock store the uh, there's a store actually in the, the real Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory It's actually in a little place called San Leandro and so that's what it is but the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory in San Francisco at Fisherman's Wharf is the original factory by the way does anybody know why they made chocolate in San Francisco there are like six major companies making chocolate in San Francisco in the 1800s I want you to think about that for a second what was peculiar about San Francisco that chocolate companies might want to locate there I'm give you a second to think about that. Do, 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 I should get the Jeopardy theme. Put that here. Okay. So since nobody called, nobody texted, <laughs> nobody is on uh, live chat, I will tell you. <laughs> it's because of the fog. So in San Francisco, the summers are about 65 degrees. And so there's about a three-week uh, stint of heat in May, you know, and like the second, uh, third and fourth week of May, first week of June, and then the fog starts rolling in. And same thing happens in September. So the last couple of weeks of September and the first week of October, it's really hot, like 90, 100 degrees. Same thing in the spring, 90 to 100 degrees. That would be the normal temperature of that area without the fog. Once the fog rolls in, temperature drops to 65, and you can make chocolate without refrigeration. So in the 1800s, they didn't have refrigeration. So how they made chocolate was they had to make it when the weather was cool enough to make it. Well, the only place in the country where it's it's pretty much 55, 65 year-round is San Francisco. So that's why the chocolate maker is located there. I don't know how Hershey ended up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. They probably did that after uh, um, air conditioning, or they only made chocolate, you know, fall, spring, and winter <laughs> because when as as the summer came along, it was too hot to make chocolate. All right. So we're covering a bunch of stuff. Let me see, I'm just going to go back to my notes here and see what else I've got. <laughs> so the government.
0: Well,
1: let me take a break now. This is a good time to take a break. I'll talk about when the government chooses the government, how things get completely screwed up. So let's do that. What is it now? 7:35. Take a quick break here, and I'll be right back. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout That is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with MyPillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. So you can wake up and hear action radio live. Action radio dedicated to fixing everything. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time, but we'll do the best we can. All right. So, I have this thing I've been saying for a while that uh, this is what happens when you let the government choose the government. And that's exactly what happened. This is what a coup is. A coup is when the government chooses the government. And what I find so fascinating about this, uh, A, is the lack of response to people that the government chose the government, uh, but B, what they're, what they're willing to tolerate. So as far as the government is concerned, they're, they're perfectly happy if we have mass inflation. They're, purposely, they're perfectly happy borrowing our country into economic suicide. Well will actually be economic treason because they're doing it. We're not, you know, those of us here aren't doing it. Um, and the states aren't doing it. The federal government's doing it. They're borrowing this nation into economic suicide. Uh, and they're committing economic treason. And they're happy with that. That's okay.
0: You know,
1: they're perfectly happy with no border, with bringing in millions of uh, illegal aliens to completely change the character of our country. Fine with them. Okay. They don't care. Um, taxes. They don't care how much the taxes go up. Yep, they're, they're in the bubble. They're in the nation of government. They're in the D.C., the nation of government. No matter to them, foreign policy, we don't need a foreign policy. The two-state solution, you know, in, in, uh, in Israel, where, where only one of them is actually a state, you know, Israel, <laughs> Palestine's not a state, folks, okay? There is no Palestinian state. There is no Palestinian people. It's all been made up. It was a British uh, uh, thing of, of Hashemites and rejects from other countries that ended up called being called Palestinians, okay? There's no Palestinian people. There's never been a Palestinian state. This is a bunch of nonsense. That's from uh, Claire Lopez told us that story a while back. So instead of the Abraham Accords that Israel wants and the, and the other countries uh, in the area want, the Arab countries in Israel want the Abraham Accords that Trump started. They don't want this two-state solution nonsense that uh, Brandon wants. Brandon hates Israel anyway. Okay? Uh, but that's okay with them. Uh, how about the, uh, the permanent war class? They're perfectly happy having a country that where we are at war. Because that, that, that makes for a war economy, that makes uh, for uh, money laundering, that makes for bioweapons labs, that makes for complete corruption, that makes a great place to test our weapons out against the Soviet weapons. Did I say Soviet? Russian weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, same thing. Anyway, uh, you know, dictatorships, you know, was it Rose by any other name would, would smell as sweet? A dictatorship by any other name would still be a dictatorship. So, that's, so we have to be at war somewhere. That's 1984. Orwell said that. We're always at war somewhere. So the reason that Bush got us into Iraq twice um, that um, Obama kept us in Afghanistan and that Trump tried to get us out is because Bush and Obama are, are and Clinton are, well, was Clinton a some war somewhere? Well, Bush did it mostly. Uh, these people are globalists. And part of the globalist Marxist philosophy, the, the, uh, the banker government cabal, uh, the military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about is that you have to be at war somewhere and that justifies all the, all the other stuff they do. The weapons testing, the, uh, the money laundering, uh, the bioweapons labs and the test, you know, and, and anything else that they use this for and the propaganda and the tax, the increase in taxes. Well, we're at war. We, you know, and they also, the National Emergency Act. So they get to declare emergencies because we're at war. That's why everything's a war. There's a drug war. There's a war on uh, inflation where, where there isn't. <laughs> and the, government, the government's happy with inflation. They love inflation. Why? Because it makes the national debt look lower because, you know, a trillion dollars of debt when the dollar is worth something uh, is a smaller debt when the dollar is worth less. So it's actually, uh, so they removed, but of course the tax goes to us, but they transfer. Inflation transfers money away from people because it dra- gradually transfers the value of your dollar down. So as the dollar devalues that your purchasing power gets drained away, well, it goes, it goes to the feds because you have to borrow more stuff. So they make more money in the interest rates and they're fine with that. I'm not. Most of the government was fine with mandates, uh, was fine with the COVID policies, was fine with uh, mandatory jabs. They were fine with masks that didn't work. Everybody knows masks don't work. Congress knows masks don't work. Congress also knew back in March of 2020 that, um, that everybody was going to be exposed to COVID. And I know they knew because I've got the reports from the briefing. I know they knew. I've got the article. You know, this is public information. Uh, a, a former um, FDA official who ended up working for a Japanese pharmaceutical company, Takeda, I think it was called, briefed both the Democrats and Republicans separately, <laughs> briefed them both, that everybody's going to get exposed to, to COVID. Dr. Peter McCullough, when he was on the show, said 94% of Americans have had COVID. Well, I believe that would be herd immunity <laughs> and then some. So why would he even have a COVID policy? There's no, there was never a need for it. And the worst part about it to me, the worst part of all this is that all this stuff is happening because they, basically the people that are running the president have created an idiocracy. They've got the stupidest people in the whole country, uh, including the person they threw at the top, Brandon himself. They've got an idiocracy. You look at Buttigieg, you look at uh, Grammarly, what's her name, the Secretary of Energy. You look at Jackson on the Supreme Court. You look at any of the people, you look at um, all, uh, you know, all the way down, Millie, um the, the head of the Joint Chiefs. You take a look at anybody in the Brandon insurrection, and they're all idiots. Uh, who's that twiddly totally at Secretary, uh, Secretary of State? He's an idiot. Uh, Ned, what's his name, the briefer that looks like something out of, from a Star Wars bar. He's an idiot, (laughs) you know, uh, the the secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, an idiot. I don't know how the hell he got a job at Raytheon, but this is an idiocracy. These people are morons. Well, I guess it's easier to control morons, but I don't want a government of morons. I want a duly elected government of, of Trump and the people that he picks. The problem was he screwed up the first time and he really did. He picked a great cabinet. But he didn't pick the people down. The cabinet didn't pick the people on down. And that's where Schedule F is going to be so interesting. So they're going to take uh, 50,000-plus employees of the federal government, put them under Schedule F so they're at will. In other words, they could be fired. So he can actually say you're fired, not just on a TV show but for real, and they'll be fired. That's a good thing. (laughs) Okay. So that's the way out of it. So that's the big problem for me. We have an idiocracy. Uh, I think I've covered most of the stuff I wanted to take. Uh, Yep. Actually, I did. Oh, another story here that I'm going to get to this, too. Apparently, an elderly man uh, killed an illegal alien, and the left is all up in arms over that. You can't can't do that. Well, he's defending himself. We'll find out uh, what's going on with that. So let me get to a couple of articles, and then sometime in the next hour after the top of the hour here, um, I've got an interview with Robert Weissert, and this is one of the WEB1 ones. This is only a month after I started in radio. Uh, so you'll hear a cell phone clicking, you know, that keeps pinging, uh, the, the, the sound quality. I think we're sort of still getting used to doing uh, podcast stuff. Uh, it was, it's really new. It's the day after I had my Walter Williams interview, that fabulous interview that I play, um, occasionally. Anyway, so Robert was great. I tried to find him. Uh, it was, he used to be a Florida tax watch and he has moved somewhere. I think he's somewhere in DC and I try and track him down cause he was brilliant and we'll get him back on the show. So I'll play that interview the next hour. And the third hour today, we've got CJ cj's wellness watch so cj is coming back to the show she was on friday and so we'll talk we'll chat we'll have fun uh and we'll find out about nutrition and wellness and uh, i have a big kick on wellness because so many people are sick in this country um, through their through their diet through lack of exercise through uh, stress through all kinds of things so there's a huge need for wellness that's why i do it you know i want you all to be healthy you know i'm 63 you know i still bike ride hit the gym uh i had major open heart surgery to fix a valve it went well they almost killed me three weeks later with blood thinners, but that's another story. But, uh, you know, so modern medicine, when appropriate, is really good. When not appropriate, it will kill you. <laughs> you know, the COVID protocols, the remdesivir de- ventilator death march. So here's the thing. I would, let me make another point, too, with regard to the Twitter folks. The point I would have made is, if I were a member of Congress, I would have looked at them all in the eye and said, do you people realize how serious this is? By withholding information on ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, monoclonal antibodies, steroids, oxygen, vitamin C, D, um, zinc, azithromycin, all the things that we know work. By withholding information on that, you are responsible for most of the million deaths that occurred in COVID. You're part, not wholly responsible, but you're certainly an accessory to the deaths of all those people because the government protocols that they supported killed people. And the obvious, the evidence is obvious. All the people that died in hospitals from the rendezvous ventilator death march, they're not here to talk about it. Now, Dr. Zelenko, Dr. McCullough, uh, Dr. Malone, other doctors that I've talked to, anywhere from 80 to 90% of those people could have been saved with early treatments. So you figure at least 80% of the people that died using the government protocols died for no reason. Yeah, I'm sure comorbidities and other things play a part. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about otherwise you know, healthy people couple of adverse health effects things like that should not have died if they gotten early treatments. Well, the Twitter is partially responsible for that. Cuz they withheld information. They withheld life-saving information. They practiced medicine without a license. They they censored. They segregated people out as uh, Congresswoman May said. So that you people aren't doctors. You made life-saving you made life-altering decisions for people. You caused I don't know if she said they caused death. I'm saying they caused deaths. So they are just as guilty as uh, anybody else in big tech that sends that information? And the evidence is obvious. You take, in fact, I'm still looking for a good survey on this. But you take a look at all the people that lived, that got early treatments, versus all the people that died, that followed the government protocol mandated by their hospital because they wanted money. They're basically bribed to kill people, $130,000 a COVID patient. That's a crime against humanity. That's mass murder. That's a massacre. Probably is up there on genocide. But Twitter employees are a part of that because they censored the information that could save lives. So they're guilty of crimes against humanity, besides the regular ones in the books of election fraud and everything else, segregation, censorship, and you name it. And yes, they are responsible for the First Amendment because here's what happened. They became what Johnson Mosley taught us about state actors. In other words, the government cannot violate the First Amendment, even though they do, right? But they're not supposed to. The Constitution says they cannot touch The First Amendment. They cannot make a law that abridges the right of free speech. So they don't do it. They they get private industry to do it instead. So what the FBI, probably the CIA, the Obama folks, the people running Brandon, and everybody else colluded to make big tech censor on their behalf. They're basically making – they were deputizing. They were making – they were giving law enforcement power to big tech. So by giving law enforcement power to big tech, big tech then becomes state actors. They no longer are a private company. They're now an extension of government. And the minute they become an extension of government, first of all, that's illegal. (laughs) Secondly, um, they're subject to the Constitution because they're acting on behalf of government. They're acting as a state. They're acting in law enforcement powers. They're exercising power over information that they consider, you know, uh, especially in Section 230, lewd, lascivious, otherwise excessively violent, or otherwise objectionable. So Congress actually gave them an illegal power, but they didn't have to use it, but they did. And they say ignorance of the law is no excuse. Okay. Well, ignorance of the constitution is no excuse either. Using an illegal power, even, you know, especially if you're paid for, it's even worse, but using an illegal power, being a state actor, exercising law enforcement power, when the laws already exist on obscenity, on pornography, on child pornography, exercising law enforcement powers, makes the mistake actor, and subjects them to the Constitution. Let's bring Pianchi in the conversation here. I've been kind of on a roll for a little while. Let's see what he thinks of this. Pianky, good morning, sir.
2: Yeah, I was listening to your talk. I didn't hear nobody responding, so I figured you'd probably buy yourself again. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I don't mind that. Um, I love having you join me, but I actually, I kind of like presenting topics too. So it's sort of a mixed bag. But still, I'd say 90% of our listeners listen on podcasts. They can't call in. So we've already reduced our pool to 10%. And they say that less than 1% of people who listen to talk radio actually call in. So I don't expect a lot mm-hmm. of callers. You know where, I'll say, You know when we're going to get callers? When we get Trump's endorsement. When Donald Trump talks about actual Even radio, that, that's when we're going to get callers. And I'll have so many callers, you won't be able to get in. I'll have to. Uh, I'm gonna. I'd love to have a private line for for my regular callers, so they can always get through. So I'm working on that too. Block Talk hasn't come through with that.
2: You know, uh, there's a coup going on in Oklahoma. You got the He's trying to take over the government, occupying the state house. <laughs> really? Where's the news? Yeah, they say huh. this is our house. Well, what's the difference in that than January 6th? It's a, they're trying to take over the government.
1: Yeah, except the difference is the January 6th people were not trying to take over the government. They're trying to support the government. So it's, it's a totally different situation. But that's interesting. Uh, now, Brianna's in Oklahoma. I wonder if, I don't know where she is in Oklahoma. I know she's in there somewhere. I wonder if she's close enough to, uh, to, to get there with a video camera. <laughs> I don't want to endanger her. In danger. She's minor. But, you know. but uh, I'll, I'll talk to her off the air. Are you anywhere near this? Can you get there? Bring your parents. Turn the family, to an activist family, yeah, no, some video. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, when they talk about this, they need to use the right language because uh, you got to fight fire with fire.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's not their house. First of all, trans transgender doesn't exist. It's a it's a it's a made up term for people that have self mutilated, you know, or or mutilated by doctor well, yeah, influence or parental
2: to, influence. Mm-hmm. Governor had oh Sarah Payton. not, not Palin. Payton. Mm-hmm. Sarah Huckabee,
0: mm-hmm.
2: what did she do with a good job on that rebuttal? She was so presidential looking. Yeah, I recommend everybody.
1: Everybody should listen to that. I listened to it. Uh, I missed the first little bit of it. I caught it live, but I've, I've got, if you go to my Facebook page, uh, there are public posts. There are three things. I've got Roger Stone's rebuttal with all his uh, interview people. I've got uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and I've got um, uh, Trump's two-minute uh, State of the Union, his thing. So they're all there. They're also in the Election Integrity Report, and the, the Trump, we have a Trump 2024 campaign uh, group also, and that's where I put a lot of stuff related to this, um, particularly the, the hearings and things like that. So a lot of the videos that are coming out now are available still, or just, or just go to the regular sources. Go to, go to Rumble and go to YouTube, but you should definitely watch S- uh, Sarah Sanders' speech. It was brilliant. That was the best speech of the night. That's, been the, that's one of the best speeches of, of recent history. You know, I, and uh, Well, what do you think is going to come from that? It was so good. I mean, do you think she'll be getting well, the keynote to address?
2: Continue she's going to continue to govern, she's going to continue to govern. You know, she ex- revealed that she had, had health problems, serious uh-huh. health problems. It's probably when she resigned. And she came back, and uh, she's looking very good, very beautiful, and in uh, her poise and everything else. So she will uh, be a good governor for the volunteer state of – no, she's in Arkansas. The back well, State,
1: the raisin match. Match. yeah, there. exactly. So the state's named for a yeah. wild
2: pig. <laughs> Sorry, I just find that interesting. Don't mind me. Well, you have to respect nature, so. Well, the I do respect nature, the, but uh, uh, listen, uh, Idaho's named for a
1: potato. You know, so. Uh,
2: <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, what are we? What are we mm-hmm. saying about that? You know, what's uh, what's uh, Massachusetts the Bay State? You know, this should be the lobster. Actually, Maine should be the lobster state. Anyway. Um, I got a question for you though. Earthquakes. And I was talking earlier yeah. about liquefaction, construction rebar things. This is your specialty. So, what the first thing I thought of with the, the Turkish earthquake, with a ridiculously large loss of life, a I thought it was totally needless. B I knew it had to be the construction. They weren't up to earthquake code.
2: Who? Who's earthquake? Turkey. Oh, I couldn't tell you about that. They deal. They deal. They deal strange over in those places. I can tell you what they don't—they—they—they they, they don't do, but the people listening wouldn't understand. But uh, they just have a different me- method of building. Probably a nation that's more advanced in uh, protecting their buildings is probably Japan.
1: Oh, Japan's fabulous! They got a Japanese person there. In fact, we actually had a building in San Francisco that was constructed to Japanese earthquake standards, and what they did was they put mm-hmm. a huge water tank like a uh, 80,000 gallon or some ridiculous amount of water. So they put this water tank on top. So when the building below shifts, the top acts like a stabilizing device, kind of like a pendulum thing in reverse. Mm-hmm. And so if the building moves one way, the water sloshes the other way. And it's like a, an opposite sine wave, cosine wave. You know how uh, headsets work, noise canceling headsets because it's on a wave,
2: yeah.
1: Right. Okay. So this is the same thing. So the earthquake is a wave. And what this building, what the water does, what the Japanese found out, is that the wave, uh, that the water on top counters the wave. It actually sends a reverse signal so that the building remains stable in an earthquake because the water is canceling the waves of the earthquake. Isn't that fascinating?
2: Yeah, that's good. For that type of seismic uh, calamity. But when the ground <laughs> falls off the mud, there's nothing you can do.
1: Well, let me let me get to, let's go through this article now because we've got a bit of time. I got about uh, I'll, I'll, about uh, 15 minutes past the hour. I'm going to play my next interview. Did you enjoy the one yesterday with the herbal pharmacist? I don't know if we got a chance to talk about that.
2: No, what about?
1: Oh, well, I just wonder if you heard that one. That's okay. Um, let me uh, let's let's get to this one here. So NPR, this is an NPR article. National Socialist Public Radio. Your tax dollars at work. So I don't mind using it because I'm already paying for it. Uh, this, is, this is Middle East in Turkey and Syria, outdated building methods, all but assured disaster from a quake. So I, I want your opinion on this. February 7th, 2023, so two days ago. So scenes of thousands of buildings reduced to rubble in southern Turkey and northern Syria following Monday's deadly magnitude 7.8 earthquake. One I went through was 6.9 or 7.1, depending on who you talk to. Let's say, so I had a 7.0 earthquake. Now, people think, well, it's only 7.8. That's not that much different. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Each number in the logarithmic scale, the Richter scale, this is where this comes from, is 100 times greater. So a magnitude 2 earthquake is 100 times greater than a 1. 3 is 100 times greater than a 2. A 4 is 100 times greater than a 3. And you start moving up that scale. Now, the first couple of numbers, you don't really notice it. And 4 is is like my threshold of what wakes me up from a sound sleep. So a 4 or greater gets my attention. So by the time you're up around six or seven, these are huge. So the difference between a 7.7 and a 7.8 magnitude earthquake is actually huge. (laughs) You don't think about it, but it is. Even though it's like a tenth of a point, because you're you're 100 times multiplying each number on the way up the logarithmic scale, uh, the magnitude becomes massive differences, even though the numbers aren't changing that much. All right. 7.8 earthquake and its many aftershocks come as no surprise to civil engineer Jonathan Stewart. He says, we've seen this before. And uh, he's an engineering professor at the University of California, Los Angeles, (laughs) probably on the San Andreas Fault, right, who was part of the infrastructure assessment from team dispatched to Turkey after a major quake uh, struck north of the country in 1999. He says, at the time, there was tremendous loss of life from pancaked buildings. And I went over that earlier in the first hour. He says, oh, they say, fast forward to Monday and video of the destruction. So they got a video here. So this article is is on our international news site. It's also on our environmental site. So Action Radio Environmental Project, Action Radio International News Project. You can find this or just look it up on NPR. Fast forward to video of the destruction shows exactly this pancaking, the sudden collapse of a multi-story building as bystanders flee for their lives. The region is one of the most earthquake-prone in the world as it lies in an area where three tectonic plates meet. In addition, you have the 1999 quake that left more than 17,000 people dead. Uh, Turkey also experienced a major quake in 2011 that killed hundreds. Now, I went over the idea of tectonic plates. Pianca, do do you know about plates? You know, Pacific Plate, North American Plate, that kind of stuff? The stuff that the crest is riding around
2: on? Yeah, out there in California, you don't know you have those seduction zones. Seduction (laughs) zones? What's that? Yeah, the seduction. It's seduction zone. It's where you have the. Well, actually, you have you have you have have volcanoes being formed on the ocean bed. You just can't see them, and there, you know, they talk about areas like the Cascadia. Cascadia, there on the northern. Uh-huh. California, Shoreline. You mean, you mean the Cascade New Zealand. Yeah. Tokyo, Seattle, uh-huh. Portland, uh-huh. Washington. They got some serious plate tectonics that's going on there and they can measure them. And something uh-huh. big is gonna happen. Right, okay. You know, let me see, tell I... you something. Okay. Let me tell you something. You know how uh-huh. animals can detect things long before yeah. they happen? Mhm. Uh-huh. I think that is one of the reasons why come people are acting so crazy in Portland in Seattle. I really do. Because the animals? I, something's what, getting ready to happen. Yeah, something's getting ready to happen along those lines of a huge tsunami and a huge earthquake that some of the sensory nerves is picking up on it and causing them to act crazy and with no other explanation.
1: Well, let me, let me tell you what happened to the San Francisco earthquake. First of all, have you been through a major earthquake? I mean, the chances are, are rare, but I'm just, I'm just curious. Because you would know. Well, be... they had
2: one in New Magic there in Missouri and uh, cracked my water heater. But other than that, no.
1: Okay. Do you remember how strong it was on the Richter scale?
2: Uh, I imagine probably a three-something. Oh, okay. Yeah, minor.
1: <laughs> we we get those around here and people get panicky and I just laugh. <laughs> That's not funny. Yeah, it is. It is when you've been through a 7.0 earthquake. Yeah, it is. Um, and not to not to uh, diminish their, their, their real fears, because people are really terrified of earthquakes. Because there's nowhere to go, there's no warning. Uh, there's, there's, once it starts, you know, hang on. Uh, folks, stay away. From, here's, here's your basic earthquake earthquake story. Stay away from windows. Stay away from flying objects. You know, stay away from anything that can fall on you from the building above. They say door jams are pretty good. You know, in a doorway uh, or or get against a wall that's not going to collapse. Get in a corner, maybe or get the strongest part of your house. And stay there until it's over. Do not run out of your house in an earthquake because someone's going to fall on you, especially the glass in the windows on your way out, and that'll kill you. All right, back to, uh, back to this here. But um, I forgot what I was going to talk about. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. So the, but the, uh, the, the damage, the, um, the incredible amount of stuff here. Um, oh, wait a minute. There's, there's, there's a point I was going to make. I hate when this happens because I get, I get my brain goes crazy. Do you remember what we were talking about? Help me out here. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a radio moment.
2: Well, you was talking about the safety. You know, in some places where they are starting to apply some intensive seismic uh, safeties, uh, you can't just set things up on the shelf. You have to secure them to the wall. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, furniture that's above a certain height has to be cured to the wall. Your uh, uh, Furniture, uh, chests where you have upper drawers, those drawers have to be where the desk can't come out and fall. Mm-hmm. Because, in, you know, kids have gotten killed like that.
0: that yeah. cool.
2: And I'm doing construction. Instruction, the same thing. Howie mm-hmm. Department are doing seismic retrofits in order to strengthen up pillars, concrete pillars in particular, and also make it, whereas those beams that span from one uh, pier to the other, to carry, the traffic, they are tied in at each end so that uh, they won't fall off like you had out there in California.
1: Well, and this is my story. I I was in flight school at Sierra Academy in Oakland uh, when the San Francisco earthquake struck, and I was living in San Francisco. So I used to drive under the Cypress structure, the freeway that collapsed, every day at about 5 o'clock. And the only reason I wasn't there the day the earthquake struck is because the plane I was supposed to fly for my my flight instructor certificate, they only used one for instructor training uh, because they didn't have that many instructor candidates, uh, was was down that day. They said, don't come in. I'm like, okay. That's the only reason I wasn't driving home at 5 o'clock as I normally would have every other day of the week for over a year. So there, but for the grace of God, you know, I got saved from that cyber structure by having my airplane down for maintenance. And now you can't tell me that's not divine intervention. So anyway, obviously I was, oh, saying, yeah. you know, there's there hey, were you more were things I had to do. To meet
2: me and Jonathan.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and here I am. Uh, and I appreciate that. And I think about that all the time um, that uh, for the people that had appointments canceled, you know, on nine 11, that they weren't in the world trade center on the 50th floor, like they might've been. Or the people that were homesick that day? I don't know exactly how they feel. I feel exactly the same way about this. Anyway, um, concrete has no give to it, does it? I mean, it's a completely rigid structure, as opposed to rebar, the steel reinforcement, which actually has a little bit of give and can hold concrete together in an earthquake. Am I correct on that?
2: Well, concrete, concrete is good in compressive strength, but it's not good by itself in tensile strength. <clears throat> and that's why you put rebar in to give it tensile strength.
1: What's the difference between those two?
2: The is when you try to bend it, it snaps. Like a, it, it, it's similar to a slice of toast. Okay. Breaded toast. Uh-huh. And you can set a uh, glass of milk on it, and it'll hold up. But if you support it on one end, then go out on the other end and set that it to break. So that's tinsel. Hmm.
1: That's like an egg. So you, you have crack to an egg ball can just
2: like eat, your stairs, just yeah. like Okay. We step uh-huh. from one level to the other. Is that rebar in the bottom of that sh- of that shape, where it absorbs as the tensile strength from people walking up the steps?
1: Interesting. It's almost like an egg. You know, you 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 can crack an egg, but you can't compress it. You put an egg, you know, lengthwise in your hand and try and squish the top and the bottom. It, it's really difficult to do. You know, unless you push it in the sides. It's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So it says here. The, the, uh, this time around, well, the, the thing I forgot to mention about the Ghirardelli chocolate factory uh, in the previous hour was the fact that that was there before the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco. So the earthquake codes mandated these huge steel rebar bars run through it. So if you look at the Ghirardelli factory today, in fact, you can check a picture if you're not heading out there anytime soon, you'll see these black um, rods. Uh, every, so many feet, and uh, there, there's like square. So it's like every 10 feet, 20 feet, whatever it is. I've forgotten the, the measurements. But they have these massive steel rods that they put into the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory. And of course, it survived every earthquake since. It's an amazingly strong building because of the, the retrofit they did. But retrofits are expensive. Whereas nearby in the Marina District uh, that was built on uh, mush, on reclaimed land, they had the liquefaction. That's why all those buildings collapsed. For those that want to know the full story, what saved the Marina District and what saved San Francisco from a massive fire when the water mains broke and the gas lines broke uh, was a fireboat called the Phoenix. You know, the Phoenix you know, rose from the ashes. So the Phoenix steamed from uh, near the Bay Bridge where it was based. It whipped around San Francisco, got to the Marina District, and became a pump. And they pumped Bay water directly to fire engines. In fact, they were running to the bars. It's like, guys, come out! We need you right now. So they got all the biggest guys they could find. They became instant firefighters. So they ran out. I'm sure some big women did too, but they ran out, grabbed the hoses, hooked up the hoses to this fireboat, hooked up to, uh, to fire trucks throughout the Marina District, and that's how they put the fires out. So this boat served as this massive pump, so they had saltwater damage, but at least they, they didn't have the city who didn't burn down in fire. Then they rebuilt the Marina, and now it's beautiful. But um, people don't know that, and that particular example was written about, and it's a model for all the cities that are on water to use their fireboats as pumps if they have a natural disaster. And it was all designed from that improvised situation in San Francisco. So somebody had a brain, and they used it, and they used that fireboat to save the city. Little story to note.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it.
1: Yeah. Let's get back to this here, because this is a problem. This is this time around, this is back to the NPR article, the death toll already exceeds 5,400 in Turkey, with 1,800 more dead in neighboring Syria, where the infrastructure was already crumbling after years of civil war. In both countries, survivors may be under the rubble, but more bodies, too, maybe many more, are likely to be found in the coming days under the debris left by an estimated 3,000 structures destroyed by the quake, according to a preliminary estimate by Turkish officials. Well, I don't think much of Turkish officials or Syrian officials, if they're going to let their people live in, in substandard buildings like this. So, he,
2: Well, what, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, see, Turkey has, Turkey, Turkey's got a national building, but it doesn't control those providences like, you know, what we see here. So no, the, the, the standards would be left up to the providences who have mm. their own leaders. That's one reason why I come, uh, you have these, you know, the Western powers who want to <laughs> run a pipeline from one end of the country to the other, they can't do it because they have to deal with each leader in each providence along the way because they're going to be looking out for the best interests of their particular people, rather than giving it to Aragon, who's just going to be looking out for his own interests and edit of his family.
1: Yeah, I don't know how. I imagine Turkey's rather corrupt. Most countries are, so uh, that would be a problem too. But as far as it goes, that's probably why the Alaska pipeline uh, is so direct and so efficient because it's all within one state. I didn't think about that, but you're making a good point. Absolutely. Hmm, interesting. Okay, let me finish this article, then I'll play uh, uh, another interview um, from back in, I was, uh, this one's from 2017, so I was only on radio for a month, and it actually worked out pretty well. So the next headline, older buildings fell apart quickly when the shaking began. It says, why did so many buildings fall down? Stuart says that for buildings in Turkey that are more than about three stories tall, a usual construction technique is to use reinforced concrete. That's what we were talking about earlier. Typically, the columns and the beams are concrete, he says. And then there's a kind of masonry infill block inside these frames, which falls apart very quickly when the shaking begins. Abbey Liel an engineer and professor at the University of Colorado Boulder, <laughs> interesting choice of words, uh, says that assessment pretty much matches what she's seen in photos of the destruction in Turkey. So you look at these pictures in Turkey, right? So you've got buildings that are perfectly fine and buildings that completely collapsed. So it's, it's not the, uh, the earthquake because the earthquake would have affected the, 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 the force of the earthquake would have affected those buildings equally. But why were some perfectly safe and standing and others totally collapsed, killing everybody inside? See, that's the problem. It's the construction. And the
2: codes. Oh, they probably don't have no codes.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that uh, in San Francisco, the further away they got from the 1906 earthquake, the more the, the earthquake codes were lessened to save money as the builders came in and said, you know, we, we really don't want to. We can't afford all these earthquake codes. Can you, like, take a little here, take a little there? And the corruption, it's like it's like flooding. We talked about here yesterday. We had Chris Kerbon talking about flooding. You know, the developers pay the the county supervisors. The county supervisors look the other way. You know, they build these uh, housing developments. They take out all the trees. They raise it up a little bit. The runoff goes to every other community that's already been there. It's really corrupt what's going on here. It's terrible. Well, it looks like the same thing in Turkey. So we get a major hurricane here. We got a huge storm surge, and all these new housing developments are going to be washing their water into all the the, the previously existing homes. We're going to have a battle, you know. And uh, so the time to fix this, folks, is now when we know there's a problem. If you're going to build housing developments, you got to build the infrastructure, including the storm drains and the storm ponds, to handle it. You're not doing that. County Commission, Milton City Council, Santa well, Rosa County Commission. When it comes yeah. down
2: to houses, most, uh-huh. houses, are, uh, most uh-huh. houses are stick built. You know, the the, the uh, application of earthquake-proof techniques on the storied buildings, you know, building uh-huh. this one, two, three, four, ten stories, they have to do it at the base. And you look at China, China's uh, buildings at the base have these enormous springs.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, that's, where, that's where the shaking occurs. You have to be able to stop as much as you can there and dampen it as it goes up into the building. But you can't take a building that's normally where you have pylons that go down to the bedrock. Well, then you're going to try to seismic proof the upper floors. It's just cost prohibitive.
1: Well, let's talk about the Transamerica Pyramid. It's one of the most well-known buildings in the world. It's in San Francisco. Uh, it has these little wings on the side of it. It goes up into a pyramid shape. And the wings, those are actually the elevators. You can't, you can't have the elevators. Although the only place I know that has angled elevators is the Eiffel Tower. Uh, and I've been on them. They, they, you go up at an angle. It's really weird. <laughs> anyway, um, but the, uh, the Transamerica Pyramid rides on Teflon and springs and shock absorbers. But if you look under, the, you'd probably be fascinated by this. Take a look, at a, a, look up online the, the Transamerica Pyramid. And look at all the construction stuff they have underneath it. It's really an amazing system. And so they, they have buffers. They have shock absorbers. Um, a lot of bridges in the Bay Area have, like, this rubber compression compound. So they're flexible. They can move. They can absorb shock. And they have squishables. So in the summertime, uh, they're closer together. But in the wintertime, the, 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 the concrete shrinks a little bit, and it gets further apart. And so you can see spaces in the roads. You know, and you can see the, the, the stuff inside there. The compression material It's really quite fascinating. So they know how to do it. I mean, the engineering is there. Uh, the question is whether the political willpower is there or whether they get bought out by developers that don't care, that want the money, you know, and without the responsibility. So I'm going to find a good housing development person. I mean, a really good one who builds quality homes, you know, in quality areas and doesn't screw up the, the landscape and the environment. Anyway, so we've got another person here that says uh, – this is Kit Miyamoto. So you're talking about Japanese engineers, right? An expert in disaster resiliency engineering who is preparing to head to Turkey as part of a team of engineers says building codes enacted after the 1999 quake uh, near Izmit are good, but a lot of structures predate those codes. He says anything built prior to 2000 can be considered very dangerous. Uh, Further, even than the newer building codes uh, enforcement uh, is not very robust. So even some of the latest construction is not necessarily up to standards. Quality control in the field really matters. So what they're saying is that uh, they didn't retrofit. So they changed the law in 19 and 2000. So all buildings after 2000 are you know built up to the new code. But the previous buildings, they didn't fix them. And those are the ones that people are dying in. Big surprise.
2: Well, the retrofit that you can do is on the beams and columns, especially the columns. Collin mm-hmm. collapse is just like somebody bumping your leg and, you know, you go down. The walls is going to go out. The walls don't have any – really, the walls shouldn't be carrying any structural loads anyway. They're just there for – keep the wind up. <laughs>
0: well,
2: that makes sense.
1: Yeah, this whole construction, I, I know very little about it, but it's quite fascinating uh, from an engineering uh, aspect. But, uh, yeah, so the the – places that are built on on mush, on reclaimed land. Uh, actually, downtown San Francisco is built on, on reclaimed land. Actually, under it are, tha- are hundreds, actually, of gold rush ships. So anybody that, that wants to be an archaeologist, there's a, there's a perfect exhibit. You go under San Francisco. In fact, every time they, they build a new building in the downtown area, because it's all reclaimed, it's the old Barbary Coast. So they covered the land, buried the ships, <laughs> used that as a framework. <laughs> so all of San Francisco downtown is built on the framework of wooden ships that came during the gold rush. Uh, and every once in a while, they find it. I remember when I was there, uh, sometime in the late '80s, they were digging up uh, uh, a site to build a new building downtown, and they followed, found this, all these cases of 1800 champagne and all kinds of other stuff. It was really quite a bonanza. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff down there. All right, it's 8:15. Uh, I'm going to get my interview, which runs about 43 minutes, and that'll bring us up to CJ. We're going to get back to wellness talk. So, any any further comments on buildings, earthquakes? Uh, Piak, anything you want to add to this, and then I'll get to uh, uh, my my retro interview here.
2: Well, you know, engineers and architects can only design for what they know, things that they don't know, you know, they just don't know. Uh, In driving piles, you drive a pile until it comes into contact with bedrock, then you hit it uh, several more times. Now, when you hit it five times, suppose you had hit it seven times. Well, the seventh time it would have broke through a cavern down underneath the rock, and then the and falls through by itself. So nobody knows. And then, too, there's uh, the resistance is accumulated by either sitting on top of bedrock or from the the friction from the soil that you're going through. If you're going through good soil, fine. If you're going through some fossilized soil, well, you're going to have problems. That makes sense to me. Okay, let's pick this up again. This is an interesting topic. All right, so I had a
1: guest. Uh, This is from March 23rd of 2017. I've been in radio since March 1st. It was my first full-time radio gig. I did a little bit of radio before this, but not really a lot. And so I found this group, uh, um, Florida Tax... Oh, I forgot what they're called, Florida Tax something or other. <laughs> we'll find out when Robert comes, when, when I play this interview here. And this is a Florida, or Florida Tax watch, I believe it's called. And so I called up, I was looking for guests, you know, so I'm radio brand new. And I called them up, and this guy answered. And I didn't know it was one of the, their chief uh, executive people. He just happened to be there at lunchtime and answered the phone. So we got to talking, and I invited him on the show, and he came on maybe a week or two later. Uh, and uh, it's just fabulous guy. Now, he's not there at Florida Tax watch anymore. I know I looked. I'm um, hoping to, I think he's up in Washington somewhere. I want to get him back on. This guy's a genius. He's really good, really articulate, and really worth listening to. So I'm going to play this interview, WEBY Classic, March 23rd of 2017. I've been in radio less than a month. <laughs> you know, and, um, and so any reference to phone numbers, WEBY, our phone number here, 215 uh, 383 This is not WEBY. This is blogtalkradio.com slash action. This is the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. Once you got that in mind. Let me play this for you, and I'll be back at the top of the hour with CJ and uh, Wellness Watch. Yeah, baby. It's time for the Action Radio Hour. This is Greg it's 8.06 in the morning, and we have another special guest. And so what do you say we, uh, we introduce our guest right away? He is the Executive Vice President and Counsel for Florida Tax Watch. He has also been Director of Communications, Director of Research, and now Leader of the Research Team. He was a Policy Analyst in the U.S. Senate, Research Analyst for the Congressional Research Service, and is a lawyer and economist as well. Please give a round of applause for our guest today, Mr. Robert Weissert.
3: Good morning, Greg.
1: Good morning. Isn't that fun?
3: <laughs> that is fun. I like that. I like my walk-up music there. That's fantastic. Well,
1: we do the best we can here, trying to innovate radio all the time. So you're at Florida Tax Watch, right?
3: Correct. So
1: tell me exactly what is Florida Tax Watch. What is your mission? What do you do?
3: Well, first off, great to be with you this morning, and good morning to uh, all your listeners. and good uh, Thank Happy you. to be on the Action Radio Hour. Florida Tax Watch is a nonpartisan, nonprofit public policy research institute and government watchdog. We are based in Tallahassee, but we operate statewide. And our mission is to improve taxpayer value and government accountability for governments throughout Florida—state, local, county, all the all the taxpayer entities, the, the taxpayer-funded entities—that uh, you as citizens fund through your taxes, TaxWatch is keeping an eye on those. So we're looking at state budgets. The reality is life these days is too busy for people to really be uh, heavily involved in the $83 billion, for instance, that state government spends. But citizens are the best oversight of government. It's how the republic was founded. So Tax Watch really helps to build that bridge between citizens and their government.
1: Do you supply also a lot of um, journalists with information uh, you know, for the reports that they write?
3: We certainly do. We're, uh, we use the media as, uh, as an, an avenue to get out to the people, and we also use some uh, some direct um, uh, avenues. We have uh, social media, we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have a blog where we post about issues going on in the legislature. Uh, so the Florida Tax Watch website, which is www.floridataxwatch.org, and that's all spelled out, all one word, floridataxwatch.org, uh, we publish all of our reports, all of our findings. Everything we do, we do in the public interest. So we're very uh, transparent. We put everything out to everyone. Although we are funded entirely by philanthropic donations, we take no government money.
0: Oh, well, that's we don't good. Have
3: one eye and one hand on the state budget. Absolutely, we don't want taxpayer money. We are the defenders of the taxpayers. So you're not like uh,
1: NPR that uh, you're not like NPR that takes all kinds of government money and then proclaims to be objective. <laughs>
3: Well, other organizations can do whatever policies they want. The yeah. law doesn't prevent us from doing it. It's our own internal policy, because yeah. we want to be the taxpayers' appropriation staff, so we don't take any government money as a result. And uh, we have a lot of information on our website that citizens can directly access, but we often work with, uh, with great media organizations and, and people with the great audiences, such as yourself, to get our message out.
1: Okay. Well, i got a lot of questions for you, and I also want to invite our callers to call in at 623-1330, or if you're outside the area code, listening online, 850-623-1330. And how we got started with this was, first of all, I called up Florida Tax Watch because um, of our reporter, uh, Ken Derby, who told me about you guys, uh, and he'll be one of my guests here in a little bit. He's with Sunshine State News, and you happen to answer the phone. <laughs> you don't usually answer the phone. <laughs>
3: So we got. Well, to... we like to be efficient around here, so yeah. even that involves me answering the phone sometimes.
1: Well, there you go. Now, there's an issue here that's coming up uh, Tuesday. We have a special election for a half cent sales tax increase, and you may not know exactly all the the pros and cons and and what the issue is. In fact, I've invited uh, the school board. Uh, chief on with the show. I'm um, after the county commissioners. They come on the show at, or can. And I'm, I'm hoping to get people to come on and make their case. But so far, no one's taken me up on that. So if you can explain these half cent sales taxes, how they work, where they're supposed to be spent. This one, I think it's like a capital budget. So it's not for academics, but they're going to be. In fact, I've got the notice you know here a little bit uh, for structures, for buildings, for things like that. But it's been going on for 20 years. You know so every every 10 years they have to reauthorize the sales tax again they call it an extension but isn't it in fact a new tax every time they re they authorize it
3: Well it 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 certainly is I mean it's a tax is the issue whether it's a new tax or an extension of a tax those are semantics it is a tax it okay. is uh taking the people's money and using it for government which is is fine if that's what the people want to do through referendum if that's how they choose um to to Govern themselves and to impose that tax, but on a on a broader sense, what these halfpenny sales taxes are is uh, they're called lost local option sales taxes, and they're uh, they're taxes on any purchase made. So it's just like a sales tax, except they're entirely for the local community, and they can they can be implemented like this through referendum. The statewide sales tax is six cents, so it's six percent, six cents on every dollar and then the state legislature authorizes up to basically a penny and a half. There's some exceptions to allow it to get higher, but you can have a cent and a half on top of that. So uh, some counties in Florida have 7.5% sales tax instead of the regular statewide baseline of 6. And those half pennies can be used for infrastructure investment, for schools, uh, for a whole variety of things, economic development, whatever the community decides to put that referendum forth. Uh, Obviously, Santa Rosa has had one now for 20 years, a half-penny to go to schools. That's not unheard of. It's not uncommon throughout the state. In fact, a number of communities throughout the state have these uh, these half-penny sales taxes. And those are in addition to the money that's already collected for property taxes for schools. So Santa Rosa, like every other county in Florida, has a certain amount. As it goes to fund your local schools Uh, technically it's called the rle a required local effort but it's part of property taxes uh santa rosa it's actually averages out to about four hundred dollars per resident uh, which puts them right in the middle of uh, the state if we look at all 67 counties and we rank how much per resident uh, santa rosa is right about number 35 so right in the center of of what people pay Uh, the highest school district actually is up in the uh... panhandle as well walton county pays almost three times that hmm. uh, per resident in their uh... school property tax some places that have this property that everywhere has property tax Some places right. choose not to have a half penny for the schools in addition to that and maybe just have higher property taxes um, obviously this is what the proposal is now the big question of course is what that money is going to be used for so i know you have invited those people on and that really that's really where the magic is because It is a referendum. It is the citizen's choice whether they want to implement it, but the questions that they need to be asking are what is the money going to be used for, how do we know that there's a problem, how do we know that the money is going to solve that problem, and of course, how do we know that the money is going to be spent the way that we say it's going to be spent?
1: So well, there needs been,
3: to be some oversight.
1: This has been going on for 20 years, and I'm wondering, you know, the school has a regular budget anyway, like you were saying, from property tax. Plus there's state money coming in, there's federal money coming in. So I'm, I'm really skeptical. That's why I wanted to have these folks, you know, come on and make their case, So, they, right from the, the ballot question itself. It's, shall the school board of Santa Rosa County continue to levy a one-half-cent sales surtax for 10 years uh, to fund construction of new school district facilities, renovations and additions to existing school district facilities, land acquisition improvements, upgrading and equipping the school district facilities for technology. So I don't know what all that means, but that's why I want to ask. <laughs> well,
3: I got to I got to say, as a side note, Greg, I love these things, these notices, and and this is with all respect to the uh, to the supervisor of elections of Santa Rosa County and all of our. Public officials who do this job, supervisor elections is a difficult job it 's an elected position, but yeah. there are certain legalese that they use in these notices that crack me up. Okay. Can you imagine if like Nike ran their advertisements this way? New pair of shoes it is new. it is a pair of shoes. It may replace <laughs> the pair of shoes you already own or be in addition to the shoes you already own it 's like what who talks like that yeah. so I think that 's where we get a lot of these questions because that 's really what people are looking at we 're yeah. looking at these official documents, and they don 't really tell you. Hey, we need money. Here's yeah. why. We've got schools that are overcrowded. We've got bathrooms that are falling apart. We've got books that you know, have only 49 states listed in them. I mean, whatever it is, I don't know what the situation is, but if we could really communicate with people the way that we communicate with people, yeah. I think a lot of these government activities would, would seem a lot more approachable.
1: Well, and the, the language is a problem, but also the, the background information. I mean, people are asked to make a decision without a whole lot of knowledge, just this, this one question, and there's no report on where the money's been spent before. There's nothing on how much you know, additional, I think this is $7 million that they get additionally to that. You know, What if they don't get that? Do they have contingency plans if they don't get the half-cent increase? You know, these are the questions I want to know about. What have they spent so far? Where has the money gone? You know, in California, where I came from, they had bond issues they would just stack up. And you could have water bonds uh, three and four deep, and they'd have to pay interest on those bonds. And, of course, the interest doubles the cost uh, of the bond. And people don't realize, because there's no memory from election to election, people just see, oh, we need water, we need this, or or the schools need money. Otherwise, they're going to collapse and fall apart. And they don't realize that there's already an existing budget. And we don't know how well that's managed. There's no audit report that I could find. There's, I mean, There might be one, but I couldn't find it. Uh, there's nothing you know, to say. And they're not coming on to talk to me, so I can't question them. So this is a little frustrating for me to try and present all sides of this issue and not have the information. And the voters are asked to authorize a 10-year tax. That's why I'm confused.
3: Well, even besides the asking for this authorization of tax, and again you 're asking exactly the right questions before, and these are the questions that people need to be asking, and they need to know the answers mm-hmm. before they 're expected to vote but But those questions should be answered anyway, whether they 're asking for an extension of the tax or not. This is still the people 's money that is being spent, and again, not just for this twenty years of this half penny, mm-hmm. but for all the money, the property tax levies that are going to schools, the state money that 's going to schools there are some required auditing. Um, In reporting provisions that they have to report to various state agencies, so there's definitely reports somewhere. But again, whether there's a difference between access and accessibility, you may be able to access that report, but it may be a 340-page highly technical (laughs) document that doesn't really explain to even an expert, much less you know a a well-informed citizen how the money was actually spent. But those are exactly the questions that need to be asked, and that's where groups like Florida Tax Watch really come in we do that on a statewide level and i can give you a specific example right now uh broward county the opposite end of the state down in southeast they just passed a similar um half penny sales tax for schools and it's actually not a it wasn't a sales tax, it was a bond referendum. Okay. To bond a billion dollars to can, fix up their schools. mm They the hired an outside firm to come in and yeah. audit the fact that they really needed this. Okay. And then they've actually worked with TaxWatch and we put together a citizen oversight called the Bond Oversight Committee and then we staff that. So they send all their technical documents up here to Tallahassee. We our experts review them carefully and write down it's about a thirty page Uh, Report that's very approachable. You pick it up and read it. We put it on our website, and then we send that to these uh, to these nine citizens who serve as volunteers on this oversight committee. And then the school board officials actually come before the uh, the the bond oversight committee with TaxWatch staff in the room, and we ask them questions and say, "We don't understand. You're over budget on this one. Why? Why is this one late?" Why is this one not being done? Why was this one under budget? Did you overestimate the budget? Or did you find savings? We literally go through line by line and ask questions. Media is there. It's all very public. I think that's an example of where it was done absolutely correctly for that community. Now, that may not be a plug-and-play model for Santa Rosa. It may be um, a different model that needs to be created, but something needs to exist
0: yeah.
1: where the
3: citizens feel confident that they understand how their money is being spent and they know it's being spent well.
1: Well now, it's a perfect chance for people to call in and ask you that question. You know, at 623 1330 uh if you're pro this amendment or con, you know, come on and, and uh, you know, give us a shout here and we'll we'll see if we can, uh, you know, wrestle out the information. But if you could explain, uh, we're going to take a break here in just a little bit, but if you can explain the difference between funding by bonds, funding by tax, hidden things like interest rates and, and stuff like that and maybe some counties that have done it well and some that have done it maybe not so well.
3: Well, sure. Well, bonding is exactly just borrowing money from from future revenues. So, uh, if you have a 10-year tax and you know it's going to raise a certain amount each year over 10 years, rather than taking that money one year at a time, you can borrow it up front and then use the revenues over time to pay off the, the borrowing. Obviously, you incur interest costs. Now, again, it depends on what the community wants to do, but it also depends on the needs of the community because if what you're looking at is a recurring expense like and again, I don't know what they're trying to spend the money on, but if it's, if it's teacher salaries, that's an annual recurring expense, so you can use the money as it comes in. Or if it's maintenance, you can use the money as it comes in. But if you're trying to build brand-new facilities, you may need all of that money right up front or a significant portion of it right up front. That's when you bond it. Now, you do have to pay interest when you bond it. That makes it more expensive. But it also makes sense. Because when you, use some, when you use money for something that's a recurring expense, whether it's maintenance or, or anything else that, that happens every year, it's the citizens who are paying the tax that year that benefit from the service. But when you build a school or build a prison facility or build a park, whatever you're building, it's citizens for a decade or more that benefit from that. Mm -hmm. So it does actually make sense to bond that and then have everyone pay for it over the long time. It makes sense financially because you need the money up front rather than saving that money for 10 years and then spending it on the 10th year. But it also makes sense because that's the way we use facilities like that. You only build them once every 30 years. So we should spread out the cost over time so that even citizens 10 years from now are still paying for the, the the building that they're still using, even though they may not have been in the community or paying taxes the day that it was built. So it does make sense as a financial tool and as a good governance tool. But it has to be used carefully because it does come with costs.
1: Yeah, interesting. We're going to take a little break now. And I want to, when we come back, I want to talk about the, uh, the Constitution Revision Commission because I'm fascinated how this whole process works. So we're with our special guest today, Robert Weissert. I hope I pronounced that correctly. 821 in the morning on the Action Radio Hour, 1330 WEBY. I'll be back. <laughs> Hello, yeah. CD Wonder here. We're going to bring Faggot uh, Weifert on stage four in the morning. This is the Action Radio Hour, 1330 WEBY, and Robert is from Florida Tax Watch. So any questions you have on, on, on taxes, on government, on structure, um, i got a bunch of questions here myself, but I'd, I'd be uh, more than happy to hear from you at 623 623 Now, this Constitution Revision Commission, uh, this is something that only happens every 20 years. What is it, and, and what do you guys have to do with it as far as Florida Tax Watch goes?
3: Well, what it is is a really fascinating um, Exercise in in citizen governance. Uh, it is one of the five ways that we can amend the Florida Constitution. So we have the Constitution of the State of Florida. It is the organic law of the State of Florida. It's the agreement between citizens of how we will be governed, and it allows for amendments either one by the legislature, two by citizen referendum, three by the Constitutional Revision Commission four by the Taxation and Budget Reform Commission or five by which means get together and rewrite the entire thing from scratch. Uh this Constitution dates back to nineteen sixty eight and it included this provision for the Constitution Revision Commission and the Taxation and, and Budget Reform Commission, which meet every ten years offsetting. So ten years ago it was the TBRC, now it's the Constitution Revision Commission. In ten years we'll have another Taxation and Budget Reform Commission. Uh and then ten years after that another CRC this one is a thirty seven member body appointed seventeen appointments from the governor nine from the speaker of the house nine from the senate president three from the supreme court chief justice and the attorney general serves on the commission it will get together over the next year and propose amendments to the constitution those amendments will go before the citizens on the november twenty eighteen ballot and if they get sixty percent uh, in favor voting yes on those amendments then they will become part of the constitution so we've seen two of these before, one in 1977, one in 1997. Uh, the one in 77, very few of the amendments were adopted. The one in 97, eight of the nine amendments that were put forth onto the ballot were adopted by the citizens. What was the uh, difference, they changed our government pretty significantly, actually.
1: Yeah, what was the difference between 1977 and 1997? Uh, I'd be curious to know what, what which amendments didn't pass the first time and which ones did the second. Do you have a listing of, of any of those by chance?
3: I don't have it on me but I know what it is. Basically in 77 there was some political rancor. Um I wasn't following uh, state politics in 1977 but as I understand from reading about it and from talking to people that were involved in that process there was some political rancor that uh that that caused none of those to be supported at the time they were put forth. Okay. However, I think almost all of them were eventually adopted. Um, by the legislature or citizen referendum. So basically, all of those reforms became part of the con- which weren't initially passed by the um, the ballot in '78 when the CRC put them forward. And as I understand it, had to do with uh, with a gambling referendum in South Florida and a difference between the governor and the legislature and the citizens. And so there was um, some general sense of uh... discontent around, and people just voted them all down um, in 1997 on the '98 ballot. Uh, eight of the nine were passed. They were significant. It added um, things into education. It changed. Probably the most significant was was it changed the cabinet, the composition of the cabinet from uh, seven elected officials to three. So now we yeah. have only the attorney general, the chief financial officer, and the commissioner of agriculture. There used to be also a commissioner of education that was elected, a insurance commissioner, a comptroller. Uh, a lot of those functions were consolidated in those three, but some of those positions were outright eliminated. That was by that. There was also the... How did that work
1: out? The- just out of curiosity, how did that work out condensing the cabinet down?
3: I think different people have different opinions about it. Um, okay. Florida's cabinet is a very interesting, uh, interesting body. We have cabinet meetings regularly. They're open to the public. People can come and testify before the cabinet. It's the governor and cabinet, so it's technically four people that sit. Ooh. But the governor is not technically part of the cabinet, and it's not like the president's cabinet where it's you know presidential appointees and they sit um, at the at the will of the president. They're independently elected officials, and oftentimes they're of different parties. Okay. Right now all three of the cabinet members are republican as is the governor but um, oftentimes and quite recently when um, CFO Alex Sink was on the cabinet uh, there was at least one democrat and often it is a split party Uh, it's a really interesting exercise in governance and I do like the independent cabinet as to whether seven was better than four there's all kinds of discussions now whether there should be an independently elected secretary of state or go back to an independently elected commissioner of education Um, I think different people have different views on it. Uh, TaxWatch doesn't specifically, and I I wouldn't really be able to get into that um, because we'd have to be talking about a specific proposal. But that may be something that the the CRC looks at this time. Uh, The CRC is a very citizen-focused body. Although it was appointed by those elected officials that I named at the beginning, uh, they, at least the last two times, have had meetings all around the state. And really, listen to a lot of citizen input, where citizens can get up and say what they want to see in the Constitution and what reforms they want to have and you know typically the c r c has to pay attention to that because all they can do is put something on the ballot they okay. can 't make it happen the citizens have to vote for it, so yeah. there 's a real um, intrinsic value to them listening to what the citizens have to say at these public meetings because. It's the citizens that are going to vote now. There is one really important difference between the 1997 one and today, which has nothing to do with the CRC, but it will affect them. Which is, in 2004 or six, we changed the constitution to require 60% of vote in order to do constitutional reforms. So well, I like the old that. Yeah, I, yeah, we do too. The, yeah. We Tax Watch is actually a major pusher of that because. This is a republic. We don't have a democracy. It's not a direct democracy. It's, it's a republic, and we should uh, have a high threshold to change the organic law of Florida. But they're going to require 60% vote yes, whereas the past constitutional revision commissions, when they put things to the ballot, it only required 50% plus one in that, order to be adopted.
1: Yeah, that is a huge difference. In fact, I have long advocated that Congress uh, have all their votes be a two-thirds majority, and that it would be four-fifths to override, because you can't make a decent decision if it's only one over half is voting one way. And this is going to directly affect the, um, the nomination of, of Neil Gorsuch at the Supreme Court. A little off topic, but the point is you can't make a good decision with anybody if you do a simple majority, and you're absolutely right. That's the difference between a democracy... And a republic, in a democracy, your, your rights can be voted away. You know, anything can be, be taken from you. Uh, the laws can be changed. You know, if our Constitution were a democracy, you know, the Bill of Rights could be just scrapped by a popular vote. And so it's a huge difference. So I like the idea that it's 60%. And I would even go 66% because the more, the higher the, the vote to do something The more difficult it is, the stronger you have to advocate for it, the more it has to make sense to get the most people to vote for it. And I just think you get better decisions with supermajorities, as they're called, rather than simple majorities.
3: Well, I certainly agree with the Constitution. I think it's a fascinating discussion about the U.S. Senate. You know, when I worked for the U.S. Senate as a a policy analyst, Mm -hmm. we still had the full filibuster. That was before that some of the filibuster was taken away. So it was generally thought that 60 percent was what you actually needed because – uh, that nobody wanted to bring up anything that could be filibustered, so uh so you know now it is down to basically a simple majority in most things, and obviously in judicial nominations that 's becoming a key issue uh although I see the flip side too, which is do we really want Congress doing even less than they are basically well, I mean, my point of view I mean, I is
1: is that the, the, you know there 's so many things that they they shouldn 't be doing that they are doing, uh, and there's so many things that they could be doing. Like I had Dr. Walter Williams on yesterday. We've got a national debt of $20 trillion. Uh, right. that's, that's coming up. So actually, that, that would lead to a good question. How is the national debt affecting the financial decisions and the taxation policies uh, of Florida?
3: That is a great discussion that I hope that we start having more and more as a state because, um, the technical term what we call it, is intergovernmental transfers. Okay. Intergovernmental transfers are incredibly important to the state of Florida. Of our 83 billion dollar budget, about 40% of it comes from the federal money. Now, I that's not sound free from the sky. We yeah. send it to the federal government as taxes, they send it back to us as uh intergovernmental transfer, but uh, that's a significant portion. If if the federal government really did start cutting a lot of these programs, a lot of the federal programs are done by the states, the easy example is transportation. the federal government doesn't really build roads they give money I mean they do for military and few purposes, but mostly they give money to the states to build roads. So if we really lost a lot of that money from intergovernmental transfers, it would have a significant effect on how we operate florida and that 's a discussion we need to have because I think when you start looking ten, fifteen, twenty years down the road. I don't know what the world will look like, but I know it will be very different. And I know we need to start thinking about what is Florida going to do if those intergovernmental transfers cut by 25, 50, 75, even 100 percent. That's 100% probably unlikely, but if they cut by a significant portion, that's going to really change the way that we do business here, and we need to think about what that's going to mean for us.
1: Well, and the federal government's going to be, you know, they they can pull the strings. They can do, you know, what they want with their money. So the question is, should we be sending as much to the federal government just to have it returned to us uh, and take the whole sanctuary city issue where President Trump wants to cut, you know, any any city like San Francisco or I think Miami was one for a while, Los Angeles, New York. You know, they could have their budgets cut uh, and that money could be diverted elsewhere. Uh, and so you could have the federal government imposing their will by withholding money that we sent to them that they're not going right. to send back in some other form. Uh, if you can answer that, we're going to take a break after that, and then it looks like we're going to have a caller. So how does that work with, uh, with the will imposed by governments with these inter-government tra- intergovernmental transfers? How can that be abused?
3: Well, it it can be abused because of the system that we've allowed to be created because of the kind of money that we send to Washington and the way that we do that. But, you know, ultimately, any time we're talking about the federal government, we can't talk about a we versus they. This is one of those cases where we have met the enemy and the enemy is us. Government is nothing more than the expression of our collective will we get together and send the money to government if we want to change that we can yeah. there is a constitutional amendment to allow for an income tax this country has survived for 150 years without one and we had a constitutional amendment that allowed for a federal income tax all the money that we send to the federal government it's what we decide to send now there's a lot of nuance in in that of course this is a republic and if you look through the constitution uh, which the federal constitution is a lot shorter than the constitution of the state of Florida. But if you read the constitution, nowhere in there does the word democracy appear.
0: Right.
3: It, it is referred to over and over as a republic. We are a republic, but it is our republic. So if we want to change that, we can. But we as Florida need to be thinking about, okay, there's one element where we could change the way the federal government operates, but there's another where we're going to have to put up with the world as it exists, because there are 49 other states, there's another uh, 310 million people other than Floridians, and so we need to be advocating for the change we want at the federal level but preparing for the change that's going to happen and that means looking at how we're going to survive when we lack those intergovernmental transfers or when some of that transportation money goes away what are we going to do about funding our own roads how are we going to use autonomous vehicles do we want to increase gas prices do we want to look at uh, a mileage based uh, tax system do we want to change the way we collect taxes I mean, we already do things differently we don't have a personal income tax we're one of only five states that doesn't have a personal income tax.
1: That's why I'm here, <laughs> for one reason or another. Yeah, interesting. Let's hold it right there for a bit. Um, I think you might be touching your, your cell phone buttons, too, because we're getting a couple of uh, button things. We're missing words here and there. So let's hold it right there. Uh, it's 837, Greg Penglis here, 1330 WEBY, and we will be right back. And Pete, we're going to talk to him when we get back. Hey, it's 40 in the morning. It's Greg Tengel from the Action Radio Hour here. And I have my special guest, Robert Weiser. And phone number, once again, is 850, area code 623-9590. And let's bring uh, Pete into the conversation. What have you got for us today?
4: Uh, thank you for taking my call, Mr. Greg and Mr. Robert. Thank you for uh, helping put some light on the subject. Uh, I live in Pensacola, uh, but please, the Scamby County, uh, and, and over in your part of the woods, vote no on this bill. Please vote no on it. You're the, the
1: half-cent sales tax, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, because uh, you just came from California. How much was the uh, tax out there?
1: Oh, it was horrendous.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember living in Florida here with a younger man. Sales tax, uh, the total tax, total out the door, was uh, $4, 4%. 4%. Okay. I bought a, a little Honda, uh, not a Honda, but a Volkswagen Bug. A long time ago in junior high, it was 1000 bucks and $40 tax, you know. Yeah. And we keep adding to half this, and we can call it ed and 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 we can call it anything we want. It's just taking more money. We have to work within our means. Uh, me being a, a parent of three children, having an allowance, if they had a, an additional uh, project they wanted to do, I just didn't throw money. They had to come up with a way to come up with more money, Cut something back, trade something, sell something. It's just not just throwing money at things. Yeah, isn't going to do it.
1: Yeah, hang on, Pete. That's a good a good point. So, Robert, if you can describe how I guess you know taxes have gone in Florida, what they might have been fifty years ago, where they're headed now, and what about this uh, thing that Pete asks? You know, why don't these folks live within their means? Why do they keep adding uh, extra taxes on?
3: Well, that's a great question, and Pete brings up a great point about you in California. You know, we, Florida, although we do have high um, taxes that are going up over time, we can look at both the total government revenues and the actual tax rates and see that they've gone up over the last 40 years. Uh, tax Watch has done that analysis on the budget for 45 years. We are lower than a lot of other states. In fact, uh, I think next week Tax Watch is coming out with our annual How Florida Compares, where we rank our tax rates on about 40 different taxes, everything from you know, sales taxes and how much revenue we bring in to alcoholic beverages taxes, tobacco taxes, motor vehicle fuel taxes, all kinds of stuff. And Florida does pretty well generally. Um, we also do fairly well on expenditures, uh, although the the analysis is complicated because there's state expenditures and there's local expenditures, and then there's combined. And some municipalities or some states have. The local governments do more than others. Florida is one of those where we do a lot of things at local level, which makes our state expenditures look low. Although when you include local expenditures, we're actually closer to the middle. But um, but he brings up a great point. The the sales tax did used to be four percent, and we didn't used to have quite so many taxes. A lot have been added on. In the past 15 years, we've seen a lot of uh, fees that are actually taxes, but they're called fees. Things like uh, renewing your driver's license and renewing your vehicle plate called motor vehicle fee. Uh, Those things have gone up, Uh, a lot of charges for municipal electric, a lot of charges for hookup fees, a lot of impact fees for new development. Uh, We see a lot of fees increasing. So uh, basically, over the last 40 years, the, um, the amount of revenue per person in Florida has increased about four times what inflation is. What so that, what does that we've mean seen exactly? A lot of increases in total government spending. Uh, but living okay. within your means, you know, yeah. when we look at the federal government versus Florida, we do what we live within our means. We have a balanced budget and the federal government doesn't.
0: Right.
1: Interesting. How how much does tourism affect uh, the budgets and taxes and, and where would Florida be without it?
3: Very significantly. Um, tourism is one of our major industries, and it uh, brings in billions to the state. We have more than 100 million visitors and about $113 billion that comes economic activity. That generates hundreds of, well, more than 100 million in state and local taxes. It really does, uh, A, keep our economy going, and B, help export our tax burden. Because we don't have a personal income tax, we collect the money through a sales tax and through ad valorem, which is property tax, but mostly through the sales tax. And uh, and that sales tax, when visitors come, they pay that sales tax, which is how we drive on roads in Florida. So visitors are incredibly important. And actually, just this morning, Tax Watch is releasing a report uh, about the importance of tourism marketing. And the reason is there's a lot of discussion in the House of Representatives right now about cutting Florida's tourism marketing arm, known as Visit Florida. Right. And the the issue is really, it's it's eighty million dollars that we spend on Visit Florida. That's a lot of money, eighty million. I mean, I've never seen an eighty million one dollar bills. I doubt I ever will in my life. <laughs> but it's a lot of money. But it's an eighty three billion dollar budget. So we're talking about a tiny, tiny portion of the budget, and we're talking about something that actually generates jobs actually generates economic activity and exports our taxes.
1: That's a huge so return on investment then if you're getting, you know, 80 billion for 80 million investment. That's great.
3: Well, we don't yes, exactly. It's a great investment. it, it really is and that's what our research shows and it's going to cost jobs it's going to cost economic activity. It's going to probably raise our taxes in the long term. These are exactly the kind of things that the new Tax Watch report shows. And uh, the report is titled, The Show May Not Go On, <laughs> which is what would happen if we cut our tourism marketing. Of course, it wouldn't drop to zero. It's not like nobody would ever come to Florida again. Right. Florida is still Florida. Yeah. But we would definitely lose millions. And uh, you can see that report at uh, florida org our website. And hopefully it will be covered. Uh, in local newspapers as well because this is a really important issue for people to understand. We're not advocating any kind of government waste. This is a government investment. It's an investment that helps our economy.
1: Well, I'm going to look into that, and I know the governor was really upset when I think the legislature cut the program, but I want to get uh, James in on the conversation. Uh, James, why don't you go ahead?
3: Hey, good
2: morning. A uh, real question. I just want your opinion on this. Uh, in the state of
4: Florida, talk about local government waste. Uh, Now
2: that, uh, you know, since Ford has retired the Crown Vic, many local law enforcement agencies are going with these big Tahoe
3: SUVs. I mean, in your opinion, don't you think that's wasteful?
0: Robert?
3: Well, James, it's a great question. It's something that we all need to look into because especially local governments are the ones that are closest to us, but they're often the ones that can get away with the most waste because... There aren't big organizations that are looking over their shoulder all the time. As we've seen a lot of cutbacks in local newspapers and stuff, there may not be a government reporter or a police beat reporter that really could tell you, hey, this is what a Crown Vic used to cost and this is what a Tahoe costs today. Uh, so it, it really is incumbent upon us as citizens to be asking the exact question you just asked. I don't know what the cost of those cars are. I can tell you, I'd bet dollars to donuts that Tahoes are more expensive. It does get into an interesting point about one of the ways that law enforcement locally funds themselves. Often, I don't know if this is true in in your community, but it's true in a lot of communities around Florida, is through what's called civil asset forfeiture.
1: I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, go ahead.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's that can be a real mess. I mean, it's one of those things. It's it's it sounds like a potentially a good thing. If someone's caught with criminal activity, you can their assets can be seized, and those seizures can be used by law enforcement to help public safety. That seems like a good thing on its face, but we've seen a lot of abuses of civil asset forfeiture. We've seen a lot of uh, communities where you know entire police forces are funded solely by civil asset forfeiture. Wow. And if you're the person who maybe didn't mean to commit a crime or didn't know that you were or were pulled over in some way that wasn't uh, fully compliant with the law and all of your assets are seized, uh, that 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 hurts you pretty badly, and our system was set up really for us not to have to be afraid of such things and um, that 's one example where there may be people that are doing it really well. There may be people, there are definitely people that are abusing the system. Uh, but all of it comes back to James' exact point. We are the people that need to be doing this oversight. We as citizens, it's our job to ask exactly the question James asked, and I hope that he pursues that further.
0: Yeah,
1: I want to know why SF forfeiture is even constitutional. I don't think it is, because it's not, there's no due process. You're not... Um, you know, you're not going through a regular thing where, where you have an arrest and a conviction, you know, basically the property is seized. Then you have to prove that you didn't do it to get your property back, which may not come back in the condition that you, that uh, it was seized. You're not going to have the use of your property during that time. It's going to cost you money to get your own property back. I mean, this is insane. Uh, so I got a question on that. And also, uh, the militarization uh, of police forces is something interesting. A lot of, uh, surplus military stuff has come down. And I know it's for Homeland Security and for anti-terrorism stuff, but it seems like a lot of uh, police are getting funded by, uh, I guess, military uh, surplus equipment. What yeah, do think?
3: That, that does seem to be the case. That's a trend really at local level police throughout the throughout the country. We yeah. see uh, tactical SWAT teams. It's not just the equipment that they have, but it's the tactics that they're using are, are straight out of uh, – out of military handbooks and uh... that that can be a scary thought but it is also a scary world i mean we saw what happened in london yesterday it's uh... there's these are scary times so again it's a balancing act the reality is a lot of these issues that we're dealing with in government they are complex issues they are complicated there's a reason why uh... unfortunately in our world the police maybe do need some military style equipment and some tactics but is it going too far? And that's the question, where is that line? And again, I just go back to over and over, and this goes back to the Constitutional Revision Commission, it goes back to the referendum that's gonna happen on Tuesday. It's our job as citizens in the Republic to make sure that we're asking these questions, having these discussions, and saying no, this is our line. This has to stop. Government is us and we will stop it where we want to. Yeah. So that's that's really incumbent upon us. And the civil asset forfeiture, it's really the same thing. I mean, obviously, the courts can answer those due process questions and whether it's constitutional and whether it violates the First or Fourth Amendment or other things. But, but ultimately, we can pass a law. And there have been laws uh, proposed by, in the legislature here to limit or eliminate civil asset forfeiture and to change the process and to add on additional. And it's, it's something that we can change. You know, we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. We, yeah. we need to be the change we want to see.
1: Sounds good. We're going to take a quick break. It's 852 on 1330 W. It's 855, and we only have about three minutes left, so if anybody gets cut off or interrupted, don't be offended. Terry, why don't you go ahead with your comment or question.
5: Uh, Greg, I'm not sure I understood Pete a while back, but it seems like he was saying that we should not vote for this uh, continuation of the half-cent sales tax. Yes, he did. And, all right, that's in Santa Rosa County, and I believe Pete lives in Escambia County. So, oh, that's interesting, uh, really, yeah. He he really needs to let Santa Rosa County uh, handle their problems. Okay, uh, what do you think? I, I'm I'm a lifelong resident of Santa Rosa County, and I know that with the population growth that we are experiencing, there's no way we can buy land and build sufficient schools for our kids. Now, if you look at the schools in Santa Rosa County, they are not elaborate uh, buildings. They're not very. Uh, uh, expensive looking buildings they use basically the same plan on all the new construction that they have going on now i think they've used the same architect for years and years and 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 they're very uh very frugal in their construction uh i personally feel like we need this half cent sales tax we've been paying it for 10 years
1: but why doesn't it come out of uh, what excuse me terry why doesn't it come out of the regular uh budget why do they have to have an additional tax Uh, to do this. If they're they're managing their budgets properly, shouldn't they be able to budget and be open with the public and say, this is how much we need, and then just stay within that budget?
5: They they don't get enough money, uh, Greg, to do what they need to do in terms of construction. When you go out here and look at buying 20 acres of land to put a a school on, or 40 acres even for some schools, uh, that that land is terribly expensive, and then when you start building, that's even more expensive. Yeah, Ter- and they just don't get enough money to do it.
1: Hold on a second. Let's get a response from Robert in the in the about thirty seconds we have
0: left. Robert.
3: Uh, yeah, it, that's a a great point Terry brings up, and I don't really know uh, how they specifically spend that money. If they are being frugal with it, that's exactly what they should be doing. So
5: Terry's point is very valid.
1: Hmm. Okay, Terry, you can get the last word. It looks like.
5: Well, I I, I taught in the school system for. Thirty four and a half years. So I know firsthand what the facilities are like, and I know what our our school system does with the money that they take in for this half cent sales tax. It's used for good, good purposes.
1: And without
5: it, we can't can't build the schools that we need.
0: Yeah,
1: but my quick question is, why is the school board able to get an election uh, call for it themselves? I mean, they're calling for an election to raise money for themselves. It just seems like a conflict. Anyway, so I'm going to hold everybody up here because we're about to leave. And so, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show here. Uh, And all my callers, this is Greg Penglis. This has been the Action Radio Hour, 1330 WEBY. See you tomorrow. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. See all the fun we have around here? (laughs) Back to present day. So that was um, was March... Uh, what thirtieth, thirty first, something like that? Way back when, when I was, I had a month in radio. And if you're wondering, gee, if you don't sound that different, Greg. What happened in all those years of experience? I was a tour guide for eight years. And I'm telling you, if you want to, if you you want radio experience, start leading tours. Uh, get any kind of experience you can on a microphone anywhere. Get your own podcast, try it out. And if you want to go to one of those big corrupt stations that uh, won't let you do anything interesting, feel free. Be my guest. But <laughs> in the meantime, there's all this other cool cool stuff you can do. So that was it. I'm just looking at my date right now. Yeah, March 23rd. I've been in radio three weeks, (laughs) but it worked out well. I think I was the one pushing the cell phone buttons or my, my radio buttons, and that's why I kept cutting out. So, uh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in the early days. Hopefully a few of those uh, today. All right, let's get to CJ's wellness watch. i got my friend CJ right here. And so it's from from the recording, sitting back, listening to myself talk, which is a really weird experience, by the way. Uh, we're getting back to wellness. We're a bit getting back to things that we really need to talk about because uh, you can talk politics all day long. But if you're not personally healthy and you don't feel good, you can't do anything. So let's give a round of applause. And welcome uh, CJ back to the show. How you doing, darling? What's up? Good morning.
6: I'm good.
1: Good morning. All right.
6: I have a question for you first off. Nice and warm here in North Carolina this
1: morning. So I was just going to say, let's talk about the weather for a minute because we're totally open. I have no idea what CJ has planned, and that's part of the fun of it for me. But I was just thinking last night I was shopping. You know, we've got a a new Publix opened up here in Milton, so that's kind of cool. So I have Publix, Winn Dixie, and my local. uh, Bargain grocery center, so all these different choices. But I'm out last night thinking, you know what? It's February and it's warm and humid already. I personally love humidity, but uh, do you have you ever thought about or talked about or or you probably have studied how weather affects people? You know, winter to summer, humid versus dry. You know, people, some people love dry climates, and I can't stand them. You know, that, that dry, crispy uh, air in the Sierra Nevadas—I mean, people just love it; they go crazy. Or Arizona—I can't. I, I, I'm happy in humidity. People are like, What's wrong with you, Greg? Well, what do you think? I live in Florida. I actually like humidity. So, how does how does weather affect all of us? Just to lead us off. Oh there.
6: wow! I you know, know spontaneous. We get into the yeah. That's how I do things. <laughs> well, we, we we get all into you know the vitamin D thing and uh-huh. you know the, the the sunshine versus the gloomy. I mean, it has it works on our pituitary gland too, you know, as well. Everything goes through our eyes and our senses. So, mm. you know, it everything 210% it does affect our, our health and even, even the choices that, that we make, you know, because lots of times our emotions drive our, our choices as to what we put in our body, what we put on top of our body, you know, anything mm. topical. So there's, there's all, all the factors like here in North Carolina on, on sunny days, you know, I want to be outside with my computer and working outside and on the dreary days. I mean and everybody would agree with this, right? This is no, this this part is no new information. You know, you just want to curl up with a good book or in front of the T V or you know, whatever on the on the gloomy days and you want maybe a cup of hot chocolate or you want that indulgence that you typically would need.
1: I was just going to ask you: Does chocolate purchases go up in wintertime or gloomy days? Do people yes. like run out and really? That's fascinating.
6: Yeah. yeah, okay. It does because you want so, you know you want those comfort foods. Everybody talks about comfort foods in the winter months, you know. Okay. So so do the so do the seasons and the weather drive our food intake? Yes, they do. Huh. Mm-hmm.
1: That's fascinating. I we was talking about chocolate earlier. In fact, is one of those. Let me ask you the trivia. My trivia question, to, uh, and you don't have to listen to the previous hours. You can you can deduce this with a little uh, uh, knowledge of the West Coast. But uh, there are a bunch of chocolate makers that are located in San Francisco in the 1800s. Do you mm-hmm. have an Do you have an idea why?
6: I don't.
0: Okay.
1: Well, because they didn't have air conditioning yet. So it was the one place in the country because oh. they had a consistent 55 to 65 degree temperature year round. They could make chocolate pretty much year round and they didn't need refrigeration because oh, okay. it was that cool enough sense. to make chocolate. Yeah, isn't that wild? So that's yeah. why you're know, huh. Yeah,
6: exactly. And you know, speaking of chocolate, right? We're 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 in February month, Valentine's Day, right? Everybody's oh, thinking about chocolate right. and this and that. And it's been interesting because I've been doing some posting and things on my Instagram. Of, uh-huh. And people don't think about this, right? Because they think, Something one or two times isn't going to hurt them, and that's probably a true statement. And I know I'm mm-hmm. scrolling a little bit because you know that's what I do. But it's almost like if you eat salads and vegetables once a year, that's not going to change your health. It's what you do repetitiously. <laughs> so you know. Although some I'm people would love it. Know, it.
1: Okay, I've had my broccoli right? for the year. I'm done.
6: <laughs> right, but it's like the things that you do over and over, and it's the compounding compounding effect. So if you're okay. if you're every every day having to have one Reese's peanut butter cup. Over time, yes, it's one Reese's peanut butter cup. But over time, compounding effects. You know, so when I, when, I, when I am talking to people, I'm like, yes, allow yourself that one cheat meal. That one, you know, if you want to have two beers and three slices of pizza, go for it. You know, whatever your cheat meal is. But a lot of the commercial chocolates, they have like PGR, PRs in them. They have corn What's syrup that? and artificial flavors. And they're I'm all chemicals. They're just all man-made chemicals, like Reese's and Hershey's and Snickers, all the things, right? And Mm -hmm. the chemicals are what drive a lot of the chemicals in our brain. You know, and and many people Mm. have heard that sugar sugar is like cocaine. So the more sugar you have, the more sugar that you want. So there's so many different, I think, giving people different healthier options to have those indulgences and those treats, specifically educating people over Valentine's Day and over the different um, holiday seasons right says okay you can have your sweet but let's talk about some healthier alternatives to hershey's chocolate you know let's talk about some chocolates that maybe are infused with coconut oils and have mostly cacao in them or something like that so it's learning the this versus that sort of thing and most people don't know what a healthier alternative could be for them to even give it a try
1: this is fascinating um, because my, I'm a, I'm a dark chocolate fan. I have been, I'm one of those weird kids. I like dark chocolate when I was eight years old. <laughs> you know, they had this, um, it was, it was, right? it, it was, it, it was uh, there was a brand in, in Australia, I forgot what it was, but it had a picture of a, of a guy in silhouette, it sort of looked like um, Mad Men. It was like one of these 1960s, 50s kind of ad, ad things. So the silhouette of the guy there with his block of chocolate, you know, watching a movie or something like that. It was, it was on the package. And I've forgotten the company, but it was fabulous dark chocolate. Nobody had dark chocolate when they were eight years old. I did. I'm kind of weird. But I've always liked it, and I don't know why. But uh, it's brain food. It's, it's all kinds of things. Um, but I'm wondering, we should do, a, 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 you know, the best chocolates, the best candies for Valentine's. There's got to be... Uh, a way to do this. to, to and, and do you think, well, yeah. how about over time? Let, let me ask this question. So over time, you know, me being a dark chocolate aficionado, has that had a long-term effect?
6: Good question. You know, without the different right testing and stuff or knowing a health history, I can't answer that question because all foods and all ingredients affect people differently. It's almost like with celiac. Not everybody, you know, and this is my, my strong opinion based on education and knowledge. Personally, mm-hmm. I don't believe gluten is good for anybody. You know, I'm just giving you an example, but some people are not gluten sensitive. So some people don't necessarily have to avoid it. That doesn't mean that, you know, it's not harming their gut and they would not know that you would not know that unless you're having symptoms or you have testing done, you will not know as far as the dark chocolate. And, um, it has been said, including by myself, dark chocolate versus milk chocolate, dark chocolate is always a better alternative. However, there is still bad dark chocolate, you know, like I would not have anybody go out and get a hershey's dark chocolate bar um right. you know it, it's all it's important to have pure ingredients and you go back to valentine's day and this is just an example of me right because i've i've made bad choices i always said well i'm not a sugary sweet person but i would always buy annie's gummies thinking the annie's brand is a whole <laughs> lot better well if i'm gonna do gummy if i'm gonna do gummy bears because i'm like addicted to gummy bears and okay. i've been myself off but I went and purchased Annie's gummies. You know, when I read the ingredients, I'm like, okay, right, the lesser of two evils. But that sugar is very addicting. Once I have one pack, I'm like, oh, I want another pack. Oh, I went. But after really digging into the ingredients, it's mm-hmm. really not good for you. Like over Valentine's Day, I can tell your viewers, if you want a sweet treat, look for Yum Earth, Y-U-M, Yum Earth. Yum Earth, Yummy Earth brand. Um, that is some healthier, sweet alternatives and they have the healthy Skittles, the healthy gummies, those sort of things. So if you're giving a gift to somebody and you want a sweet treat, um, I would look for that brand, you know, as a treat. Um, There's natural sugars. There's no artificial dyes. There's things like that. So my point being is that sometimes when you think you're eating a healthier sugar, you're really not because you can get addicted to that as well, just like I did. And but I made a conscious choice just to wean myself off and then I choose what's in my home. You know, when I go grocery shopping, so I don't have to. You know, I don't, I don't buy them if they're not in my home. I can't eat them.
1: That makes sense. Well, I do that too. I'll purposely avoid buying things just because I know I'm going to want it if it's here. Um, exactly. The gluten. The gluten was interesting too because someone told me uh, a few years ago that uh, wheat products, gluten, I really don't need it, and and so I, I, I used to have my daily, you know, shredded wheat granola. You know brown sugar, you know uh, organic yeah. milk, and I thought I was eating I was eating healthy, right? But I was except right. for the the wheat except for the shredded wheat and the the, the granola, <laughs> you know. So right, uh, right, yeah, and so it's fascinating. But that you don't need wheat, and I've, I've been basically except for an occasional bagel, just because uh, I'm, I'm like right. well, was, right. you know. Re- but you know, because if you deny everything, you just go crazy. Um, but I'll tell you, you, get the, exactly. you, get a bagel, get a bagel, you melt some butter, put some you know really sharp cheddar cheese, yeah. you put some organic you know eggs, farm fresh eggs on top. You know, a little Absolutely. little curry powder with turmeric and uh, you know some some brown mustard amazing. and a touch of barbecue barbecue so sauce. You, that's wait, wait, wait. that's, you that's you my egg dish. That
6: for, are you gonna are you gonna cook that for me and send it my way? Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, it probably doesn't ship well, but we'll have to meet and actually uh, do that. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do health. Food. We'll do like a live show. We'll, we'll do like a video, right? And this is you know in Greg and CJ's kitchen today. <laughs> you know today yeah, presenting right, eggs, right, all right. all the Greg. You know, so yeah, so no, make you make a good you make a good
6: point. Like Greg. I said, it's what you do consistently mm-hmm. that has a compounding effect. So that's why if you want to have, you know, a bagel once a week or something like mm-hmm. that, because once again, it's refined sugars and it's not yourself, but it's that I'm not treat, pretty natural. It's, less, it's yeah. like the 80, 20 rule. Everybody should okay. be living by the 80, 20 rule, you know, which mm. is really good. But you know, you're not going to know if gluten is affecting your body or if sugar is affecting you or anything like that. And you do like an HTMA or any of the, the oat tests or things like that. So, that's mm-hmm. the only way you're going to be able to tell unless you're having physical symptoms because not everything will mimic in a physical symptom. You know what I mean? You can have things going on and not have any physical symptoms. So.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute because gluten, you know, like I said, I ate uh, a wheat cereal you know, every day for most of my adult life until about 50. And and, uh-huh. I just, you know, and then people said, I heard from the preponderance of people, you really don't need the wheat. It's not a good idea. So I dumped the bread, dumped the pasta, right. dumped the cereals, dumped all of it. Uh, I don't really feel, I feel fine. I don't, but I didn't feel bad when I was doing it, but I can, so in other words, you can be complete, you can be far healthier, not feel it, but intrinsically your body knows there's something different about your body process. Uh, And I like, I don't Mm -hmm. miss it. There never was a, was a craving for me. I don't care. I did it because it, you know, I thought I was being nutritional with my whole wheat bread and my, uh, my granola and my shredded wheat. I thought I was doing the right thing. And it turns out that as knowledge changes, you know the Oprah and fad. Everybody's like eating Oprah, man. It's great. And we all found out. Then all celiacs were like, "Are you people crazy? You should talk about what celiac yeah. is compared to people who are just you know in the oat in the in the uh, the fad of of gluten free." Because we went for we had an Oprah fad, which is like pure gluten. Yeah. And then they exactly. reversed it to be gluten free. So what was that all about?
6: But if, well, if you think about it, think about it, every everything is processed. So the word okay. processed most of the time means things that are added to it that should not be there, right? Mm. The majority of things are not coming straight from the earth. Just like people who want oatmeal, I think oats are horrible for you. And I like I like my treat is a cranberry oatmeal cookie, you know, but I huh. try to do the organic. I try to do the gluten-free. You know, I try to do the whole thing to make them as, you know, as clean, as as possible right for my mm-hmm. my treat um right. and so i always encourage people do more steel cut oats steel cut oats versus oats that have been processed are totally totally different but the texture is also very different so steel and ever
1: be- i was reading steel- something about stone oats. ground yeah stone grinding used to be different steel-cut too oats. than they do not so what's a steel cut
6: yeah the steel cut is it's um again the texture is very very different but it it's um I don't know how to even explain it. You have to cook it, like, a lot longer. It's not just, you know, you add water. It's not your instant instant oats. And there's a lot of things that will break down better in your gut with steel okay. oats, and there's not a lot of processing being done with those. So, you know, it goes back to the eat this, not that, not necessarily deprivation. If you like, you know, such and such, if you like a cookie, well, let's find some healthy recipes mm-hmm. and things like that. And most people don't want to take the time, the energy, the effort to spend in educating themselves on healthier alternatives. They'll just be like, well, I'm not going to cut this out. I like it. It's my one guilty pleasure. I'm just going to do it, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, if that's the mindset, that's, that's, that's cool, you know? But mm-hmm. offering people different things is a better way to go.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, let's talk about high fructose corn syrup for a minute, because uh, there are so many products. Uh, and I, I I search for, you know, salad dressings. The, the only one I found, if I can mention brand name, Paul Newman's Honey Mustard. It, it's got uh, canola oil, which is not great, but it's not. There's no high right. fructose corn syrup and there's no soybean oil in it. You know, so mm-hmm. you can find products out. Let's talk about. So let's let's mix those two together. They're like the dynamic duo of death. Oh, I like that. Can right. we use that one? Yeah, but uh, soybean oil and and high fructose corn syrup. Right, but like uh, I like uh, pickles, you know, and uh, to throw in uh, various Mm -hmm. different things, salads and stuff. Right, Uh, there are pickles that are with high fructose corn syrup and those that are not. There's more with than without. But if you read the labels, and you can taste the difference, believe me, you got a high fructose corn syrup product, you can tell immediately it's different. From, uh, from a non, from a oh, one yeah. that just has like natural cane sugar, beet sugar, things like that. But, um, but it, 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 it takes a little bit of work, but it doesn't take a huge amount of work to start reading the labels. So, so how accurate are our labels? Okay. And what you know, let's, let's talk about those separately. High-fructose corn syrup and soybean oil because they're both manufactured oh. GMO. They're horrible.
6: Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And they, they're all inflammatory, every single one of them. And what's really? interesting when you bring up, oh, 100%. And what's interesting when you bring this up and I, I've kind of taken this upon myself as an educational moment in time for, for my daughter, is in our home, you know, I, I'm a dipper. I love spinach dip. I love artichoke dip. I love crab dip. I am a dipper. I'm a double dipper. I'm a triple dipper. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm Sounds good. But, but, but when you're buying snack food, mm-hmm. say you buy something that is cassava flour-based or cauliflower chips you know, instead of doing corn-based, I suggest staying away from corn. Even if it says non-GMO, the standards and qualifications for putting that on the label um, pretty much stink. So I would not trust anything that's made with corn. We don't purchase anything made with corn. So when you're buying um, steps for snacking, so my daughter likes, I don't know if anybody's familiar with um, like hippies, um, which are made out of chickpea flour. Um, okay. Which most, well, those are garbanzo people, beans. Yeah. A of exactly. garbanzo
1: beans are the same thing.
6: Are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
6: They look good from the front of the bag, right? Mm-hmm. Or it'll have what? those buzzwords on there. And oh. you look at the back and there's sunflower oil, there's canola <laughs> oil, and all of that is, causes inflammation. Huh. And that's where they hide those things. So any snack brand product that you are buying, to um, not have any corn in them, and you should look for avocado oil and coconut oil, and I can slide and say maybe olive oil, but I tend to look for avocado oil and coconut oil, and okay. do not purchase anything that says canola or sunflower oil in it, high fruit corn toast syrup, none of that stuff because all of it is causes inflammation within the body you know and and people don't know necessarily if they have inflammation unless you have any sort of physical symptoms or you get tested because you can have internal inflammation going on with mm-hmm. no symptoms you know so you have to read if you if you care enough you have to read the labels because those buzzwords can trick you into thinking that a product is but you don't read the oils and you don't read the fact that it's got malodextrin in it and all the sugar right i say it um yeah, if you cannot pronounce the ingredients You don't want them, you know, or if you don't know, (laughs) or if you don't know what it is, you don't Uh, want it. Yeah, if you see more than than
1: six ingredients in a product, that is probably too many, (laughs) or four ingredients or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
6: Yeah, so they're very, very sneaky with the labels. Very, very sneaky.
1: Yeah. Well, natural food, you think that's good, but natural has a definition. You can have so much artificial, like 20% artificial, and still call it natural. So labeling requirements are huge. We should do a a Federal Trade Commission. We should talk about the rules and regulations on that. But the seed oil is interesting. I actually had an article of my mini that I collect. That saved just for moments like these from the defender, which is Children's Health Defense. That's Robert Francis Kennedy Jr.'s uh, organization, which I'm uh, part of a lawsuit against big tech. I'm one of the one of the many parties uh, that hopes to cash in from all the censorship they've done for me over the last few years. You maybe too. Maybe I can get you involved in that as well. Um, but the article, uh, Joseph Mercola, who I'm sure you're familiar with, um, and I'm sure our uh-huh. listeners are as well. And he, this, is, this is recent. This is uh, February 7th, so just a couple of days ago. Seed oils, a dangerous global human experiment without informed consent. Tell me what you think of this. Uh, let me just give you the highlights. He says, ophthalmologist Dr. Chris. Noby, K-N-O-B-B-E, says most chronic diseases such as heart disease, cancer, high blood pressure, stroke, diabetes, obesity, metabolic syndrome, which you can tell me what that is, Alzheimer's, and macular degeneration, that's the eyes, all right, are linked to the mm-hmm. consumption of processed seed oils. What do you think of mm-hmm.
6: that? Yeah? I think you it's concur? interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I do.
1: All right. I'm going to give you the next bullet point. Uh, Nobi says large consumption of omega Six, seed oil in everyday Western diets is so dangerous, it is a global human experiment without informed consent. Then he says polysaturated fatty acids, also called PUFAs, I would call them PUFAs, Just <laughs> this sounds funny, yeah, uh, found in yeah. vegetable oils, edible oils, seed oils, there's all the stuff you're talking about, right? Trans fat and plant oils owe their existence to roller mill technology. This is where I got it from, right? Which replaced stone mill technology and removed the nutrients. We're talking about stone grinding versus steel grind. That's, that's why I asked you that question. Correct. Then, then he says, many people now consume 80 grams of PUFAs a day, which amounts to 720 oh. calories, which is like one-third of your daily allowance, you know, of 2,000 calories, a little bit more, um, and, and one-third of their caloric intake. Results from studies of tribal peoples and animals have demonstrated that the deleterious effects of PUFAs in the diet. So this is serious stuff. These seed oils are horrible.
6: Right. They are. They are. Okay. And... <laughs> And you know what, I can hear your viewer, viewers now, and, you know, I'm, I'm right there with them. It's like, so what do you do? Like, how do we do yeah, exactly. in this world? Let's I mean, that really, question, I mean, yeah. I, 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 and, you know, you can only do and get, like here in North Carolina, we don't have access right now to farmer's markets. I know in some areas you do, you know, mm-hmm. which, is a, which is a blessing. We do. You know, and we were, we were, that's great. And we were talking about how far do you take this, though? Like, how mm-hmm. far do you backpedal? you know, you can go to a farmer's to get, get your eggs. You can get clean. Yeah, do that. You can get your, you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But then mm-hmm. you go back to, okay, what's in the, what's in the feed? You know, we're, we don't know what's in the feed. Even if you have a farm, how do you know oh, do. what you're buying? Really? really, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I how asked you, the farmer, you know, and they, you know, yeah, I asked the farmer where I get my eggs from and, and we actually went over the feed. It's pretty yeah. interesting. But did you hear about this? Uh, that, that some farm, there was a report on one American news and I saw it in the news that, uh, a lot of people who who have their own eggs, you know, their, their chickens aren't giving eggs. They get this, like, tractor supply, and I may be casting aspersions and, you know, incorrectly, but there's, like, a major feed out there for chickens, for, for egg-laying chickens, that uh, they're not laying eggs. Did you hear about this?
6: Right. Yes, I What's did. What's going on? Mm-hmm. What's,
1: do, do you know about it? Tell me.
6: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because I just have um, my girlfriend who has chickens and hens and things like that. She usually mm-hmm. gives me free eggs, right? And so I said, do you happen to have any? She said, no, for some reason, you know, the past month they really haven't been producing, she goes, but I'm hoping Uh, to have more, you know, coming up, you know. so And she's all holistic, all organic, the whole, you know, she's very, very diligent in what she, again, that goes back to my statement. How do we know what's in the feed? Like they're not producing. um, The prices are skyrocketing. And don't quote me on this because I really don't remember what I read about this because I read so, read so much information, but there was something mm-hmm. important about egg yolks, you know the color of them they've got to be brighter and you know not dark. I know all that but the but because they have something to do with helping our immune system and fighting certain things in our body, mm-hmm. they are trying to um, make it challenging for hens and chickens to produce and they are jacking up the prices of eggs because of the benefits that they are now finding that they have.
1: Oh, this is fascinating. So this is like uh, the, the COVID shot, which destroys your immune system, so you get more COVID shots, so they can sell more boosters. It's like putting salt in food, so you buy more food and more drinks. They have salt and soda for the same reason. So And they put sugar in. Which right. now, I, want to, I want to do the whole cocaine sugar thing. That's going to be fascinating too. But you look at this, they're actually, yeah. these products are self-perpetuating. They actually put things in that Correct. cause you to get more of them. And if it's medicine, you'd think the whole purpose of medicine is so that you get health and you don't have to have more medicine. That's the purpose, but that's apparently not the purpose. The purpose of medicine, the purpose of the COVID jab is to sell more COVID jabs. And it, it, the people that right. come down with COVID are the people that got the jab, plus all the other problems they're having with it as well. So it's, it's the most, it's right. absolutely horrendous. Of course, what we can talk about, we'll, we'll talk about them one day and the, the vaccine liability and everything else, but for the most part, but just the basic idea that these companies are selling products that cause you to buy more of the products. In other words, if your chickens mm-hmm. aren't laying eggs, you know, it's, it's, well, you, you better give them more feed, <laughs> you know, you're not feeding right. them properly or something, right. but it's the food that's causing the problem. So it's a self-perpetuating exactly. market. huh?
6: Right. So it's, it's the things that are coming full circle. So a lot of the things that we are finding that are really, really benefiting our health and our immune system is what they are to create shortages of or to, to get rid of, you know. and, mm-hmm. and, you know, from my perspective as an integrative um, nutritionist, that's mm-hmm. one of the main reasons even, you know, now more so important than ever is, and people don't like to do this, right? And I and I get it, is the whole supplementation thing. People want to get all of the nutrients that they can from whole foods. I totally mm-hmm. agree. I couldn't agree with that more. The problem is you can't do that. You cannot do that in a world such as today, especially mm-hmm. with what they are doing. And so, you know, investing investing your your money into foods that are tainted versus into Um, nutraceuticals, not pharmaceuticals, but nutraceuticals that are truly designed by doctors out there who are trying to help us in this world such as this and having access to those things is so vitally important because so many people are missing the nutrients that they need for basic bodily functions, you know, hence why the full circle of a lot of the health challenges and or mineral deficiencies that people are, are having and even now, whether they've had COVID, whether they've mm-hmm. had the flu, whether they have or have not taken the vaccine, just with everything that's been created in this world over the past four and a half years, I mean, honestly.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, they're all working against us now. But, the, you know, again, how much do you do? But it, t- take the simplest ways first. You know, like I said, it didn't, didn't cost me anything to give up bread and give up uh, pastas right. uh, and give up those things. And the cookies and the brownies I never, you know, I mean, yeah, when I was a kid, but, uh, you know, learn to get off that. But, you, but sugar, really, it's almost like a withdrawal from sugar. I mean, it takes Absolutely. a while to to process your body into a, so I'm, I'm already there because I've been doing the dark chocolate and I don't have the processed stuff. I don't, I try not to eat any process. Occasionally, well, like I say, my occasional guilty stuff would be like, you know, a fried something, <laughs> you know, for a sandwich or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but for the most part, no, because fried food is oil and oil is, you know, I'm learning about this. Well, here's, let's get technical for a second. Omega-6 versus omega-3s. So like salmon, the omega-3s are the good ones, like salmon, um, walnuts, things like that. Um, but the bad ones, omega-6 is from the seed oils. Do they counter each other? If you have a lot of salmon, can you sneak in uh, uh, some some uh, olive oil and it'll it'll counter it? Are these things neutralizing? I mean, can you take foods that counter uh, bad yeah. foods? Is that um, a whole science?
6: I, don't so. I, I, okay. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that that is so. But again, that doesn't mean every once in a blue moon you're not going to have these things, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's what you do 80-80. 80 20 and going back to you know something that maybe your viewers don't know or maybe a handful do is with fish um, obviously mm-hmm. you should be getting wild fish but even wild fish has a certain amount of mercury and a certain amount of bad things that are in it so you mm-hmm. should be soaking it in you know if you want an inexpensive way you should be soaking it for 30 minutes in vinegar to pull off the heavy metals and or buying a very inexpensive um, um, a butter, a buttermilk or a grass-fed milk, and I know it's costly to do this. I'm just giving mm-hmm. suggestions, but you should be soaking it, soaking your fish in one of those three things for at least 45, 30, 45 minutes. Because what that's going to do before you cook it and season it is that's mm-hmm. going to draw out any of the toxins and the heavy metals in your water. And if you are um, in your substance, I'm sorry, in your milk or your buttermilk or your vinegar, and you'll be mm-hmm. able to see that in there once you remove the fish and you rinse the fish off so you know those are the healthier fats but they also have other things in them that you want to make sure to get out before you cook them um at, at home now if you're at a restaurant obviously you're not going to mm-hmm. know but most of your viewers probably know if you go out you always want to choose a a wild fish if you're eating seafood
1: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, But drawing those
6: metals and those toxins out, that's really, really important. And most people don't do that. You know, they buy wild fish at the farmer's market or at the grocery store, come home and cook it. Well, Mm -hmm. you need to be soaking it to get the heavy metals and the things out that shouldn't be in there first. So,
1: does does the vinegar permeate the whole, so you have a piece of fish, you got a pound of fish, uh, and you soak it, you know, I guess you cover it over completely and just let it soak. And then I guess you toss the vinegar out afterwards cause it's no use cause it's got all the oh, toxins yeah, yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah.
6: yeah, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. Okay. And so you, you do that. And you, okay. And you rinse it. I, I know you can use vinegar. I use uh-huh. either buttermilk or, um, grass fed milk, or there's actually an all nat- natural substance that you can buy online. That's actually even more cost effective than that. And you only need like two or three drops and you mix it with water. So there are different options that you can mm. use to pull out all the um, heavy heavy metals and toxins in the wild caught fish.
1: See, so this is new to me. This is first I've heard of this. Okay, so is it do, would you do this with with canned fish as opposed to fresh fish? I mean, the fresh fish is obviously better, but if all you've got you know is is your wild caught you know if all if all the fish around you is farm raised you know pellet fed crap and yeah. growing up in, a, in one of those those cesspools literally. Uh, but you so you got to buy wild fish, you know, if you have do you detox your fish? Uh, do you detox your fresh fish? Do you do both? How does it, how does it work?
6: do both? But like if I have a can of tuna, which I very rarely use, um, uh-huh. you know, I'm really scrutinizing the can of tuna. My my daughter loves tuna fish, right? So every once in a while I will obviously do the canned tuna. So I don't soak things like that, but I'm talking about fillets of fish or a lobster tail or, you know, some scallops or any. Yeah, mm-hmm. even um, even shrimp. You know, anything anything that comes from the sea, um, mm-hmm. I would tend to want to do that with.
0: Hmm.
1: Does the cooking process remove any of this, or does it keep it in there?
6: Um, the cooking process, the heat. Well, you know, heat destroys nutrients. You know, if you think about broccoli and things, the right. more you cook it, the you know. So so it will destroy some of the things, but it will not touch really. Any, other, any heavy metals or things like that. So there will only be certain elements that mm-hmm. it will will remove, you know, because a protein versus a vegetable, they're two totally different um, food substances, you know. So it's, heat is not going to affect protein the same as it does a ve- vegetable.
1: Yeah, I gave up cooking vegetables a long time ago. <laughs> if I can't eat it raw, I don't want it. <laughs> You know, same thing with right. fruit. You know, I, right. I, don't, I don't do not them, you know. So, but to, now pickling, I've heard pickling actually aids digestion. Like like beets are a lot more flavorful if yes. they're pickled. Pickled without at fermentation.
6: Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Fermentation, okay. pickling,
6: yes. Yeah, absolutely, 200%. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Just get the ones without the high fructose corn syrup. Um, sorry. Exactly. I hear, yeah, but I hear. Well, I just read the label, folks. You know, and like I said, you'll taste the difference. Trust me. Um, but soy uh, is another one too. Apparently, the fermenting soy sauce is good for you. Soybean oil that's in everything is not. What does the fermenting right. do?
6: Yes. Well, the fermenting increases some of the good properties in a lot okay. of the foods. That will aid in digestion, aid in a lot of different things in the body, just like you said, with the pickling and, and things things like that. So it's uh-huh. the, just like I eat one globe of fermented garlic every single day, uh-huh. every single day. Uh, um, and it, the garlic really has a lot of health benefits, but even more so from the fermentation, you know, of it, specifically with digestion and the digestive tract and the gut. So Absolutely.
1: Hmm. Now I've heard garlic. If you don't, uh, you know, crush it and eat it right away within like an hour and a half, most of the nutrients have kind of been oxidized out sure. of it or something like that. That's not, is that true?
6: True statement.
1: It is true. Okay. So then, so if if it's uh, fermented, or I've seen some in, in these these like olive oil tubes and things like that or jars, that's as good. Does it preserve the nutrients or is it are, yeah. they, are they are they altered? Fermentation is
6: the fermentation process because um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of the a lot of the nutrients are a whole lot better, yeah.
1: Hmm. So she'll go eat kimchi then. Any,
6: anything for a minute, <laughs> just, like, just like sauerkraut. You know, uh-huh. I'm not a big sauerkraut fan just because uh-huh. I can't, uh, the bitterness, you know. I mean, <laughs> I'd eat it if I needed to. You know, I just yeah. don't like the bitterness flavor, but I love hmm. cabbage. I, I eat a lot of cabbage. Um, But I like huh. a lot of digestive enzymes, you know, so I'm not a root and toot and train, you know what I'm saying? So um, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to combat. You got to take the good, good with the bad, right? You want to yeah, eat certain yeah, yeah. foods, and then you're like, okay, I need to stay home. Um, but it, you know, going back to the fermentation, sauerkraut has amazing health benefits. So hmm. any, the majority of fermented foods are really, really good for the digestive tract and for health. Absolutely.
0: Interesting. I'm
1: gonna have to go out and buy uh, like avocado oil and, and coconut oil based foods. And uh, I don't know where you find them. I mean, are there there avocado salad dressings or you just get an avocado salad dressing itself? Yes,
6: yes. and I will tell you, um, Uh Primal, the Primal brand, anything Primal, P-R-I-M-A-L, is very, very good. Those are the majority of the condiments, um, Mm quote-unquote, that I use in my my home. Um, And so that is a very good, healthy brand that I would highly recommend people look for.
1: Hmm. Just on a purely selfish note, we should uh, get them to sponsor your report. <laughs> and now, yeah. DJ's, do, are you talking to them? Do you know people there?
6: Um, I'm reaching out to them um, okay. to try to be like like an affiliate or have a discount code for people um, because yeah. I, you know, I have a lot of connections and stuff like that with them, um, okay. and I do promote promote their pro- products quite a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, you never know. I mean, we 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 can uh, have have both our stuff, uh, you know, your work and my work uh, grow. It'd be, it'd be yeah. a good thing. Also, this nutrition legislation we need to do too. You know, maybe we should put a sugar yeah. tax. Yeah. You know? Well, here's one too. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Oh, maybe, let me ask this first. Uh, did you have a topic you wanted? I mean, I've sort of monopolized most of your report already. Or is this okay? No,
6: like I said, no. This is fine. Like I said. Just one, and we've already hit on a little bit. But again, since this is the month of, you know, kind of uh-huh. talking about the treats for Valentine's Day and things like that as we get into the season, because people are talking about that, and there's some uh-huh. great, good ideas and stuff out there. But now, other than that, I'm open to anything. You know, your viewers want to want to hear about anything you want to hear about, because there's so many different rabbit holes that we could go down on, and I, the flow yeah. of the conversation, I think, is great.
1: Okay, good, because I, I like the spontaneity, too, and, and you and I can, yeah. you know, we, we seem to be able to, to jump topics. You're probably as ADHD as I am, <laughs> which, which really uh, helps.
6: Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's,
1: a, that's a common thread on people that are on the show for a long time. Um, okay, so I've checked the, the live chat. Nobody's there. You know, folks, feel free. You can call us, 215-383-3832. Uh, most of our listeners, throw our podcast, and so they they're not listening live, and that's a problem. That's okay. why we don't get a lot of input. And so if you want to have input, you know, you know, just send us a question when you can, or, you know, I'm at uh, Greg at dot com. You know, you can reach there. And uh, CJ, if you have any con well, do you have any contact information for folks? I think you do.
6: Uh, yes, I do. Um, email is always the best. And I do check my spam. You'll just have to put in there if you are hearing me on the radio, so like where you have heard me. So I know, you know, where you're coming from, but it's H two O as in water, but it does not stand for water. H two O network at gmail um, h two o wellness gmail and um, to pivot off of that, um, I actually had somebody text me. Um, I found out their name. I don't know how they got my my phone number. They said somebody who knows me gave them my phone number to schedule a consult special? with me. <laughs> but yeah, for this Friday, and um, I prefer you know my phone number and stuff to not be give, given out obviously. So if you want to mm-hmm. contact me. The best way to do that is, is via email to have an initial conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we'll give it up before we, we close today, too. And, of course, it's on podcast, so if you miss it the first time, you can always backtrack and listen to it then. But, yeah, I'm really careful with phone numbers um, just for that reason. And I don't, you know, I mean, I give it the show number, but that's why I have email, too. So, And you have to almost have, like I have a public email and a couple of ones that I use yeah. for folks that, that know me. Uh, and so that's yeah. different too. So we almost have to do that. Let's go back to Valentine's because this is, this is kind of a – because it's going to happen between now and our next chat. And so right. uh, I, I was just thinking we have a report Monday, which you might find fascinating too. Uh, Dorothy Diana uh, is a sex educator. We do our sex and sensuality report. So you know we're going to talk about Valentine's on Monday. But the question is of course. from a food from a food perspective, you know, because food c- relates to your emotions. And that's something I don't think we really talk about. Holidays especially are stressful. And this is a stressful one in on relationships. So if you combine the stress of a relationship, you know, and of course, uh, you know, buying the right gifts, going to the right restaurant, um, not asking too much, you know, I mean, the things that men and women, you know, can really screw up on Valentine's Day uh, or, or anybody right. who's in a, in a partnership. So the question is, if you've got a bunch of sugar in your system, you've got those candies you're, or you're hungry waiting for that restaurant because you went on Valentine's Day instead of what I recommend is you go three days before <laughs> or three days after. Go celebrate then, you know. People had this fascination with yeah. being on the exact day, and that's how I, that's how I could tell I was in a in decent relationship. You know, it's like they said, hey, "I want to go a week early," or you can't do that. You have to go on Valentine's Day, okay? You're probably not the person for me. You <laughs> know, but if they said, right, "Yeah, right. that's a great idea. Let's beat the crowd and then watch everybody else go crazy on Valentine's," then I had a good person. You know, and so, yeah. so flexibility is a huge thing. But how much how much stress? We've got stress of the holidays. The holidays are always stressful. But how much stress if you pile on a bunch of sugar and candies and, uh, and and things like that is that adding to people for for emotional stuff, especially if they're in a relationship oh. that might not be going as well? For example, just a, yeah, just yeah, thought, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
6: yeah. No. Um, like I said, the whole sugar thing totally plays into the the emotional <clears throat> you know okay. side. And let let's just flip it j- just as an example, but as a positive example, right? Let's just flip it for for just a second because I know this is not the route that you were going down. But you know okay. you admit, you know sex no. and sex and sugar and this and that. You know, well, aphrodisiacs, right? Everybody buys uh-huh. chocolate covered strawberries for mm. for Valentine's Day. Yeah, I love chocolate covered strawberries and that's like my one one of my one of the few cheap things, you know, during during the Valent I don't care where the chocolate comes from, you know, that's my treat. I want a chocolate covered strawberry. You yeah, know? So good. again, you go back to that yeah, the eighty twenty roll or get organic strawberries, you know, dipped mm-hmm. dipped in chocolate. So but the point dark of that chocolate. is the whole. Aph- <laughs> You're getting yeah. and dark yeah. chocolate. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: You're yeah, right.
6: it's the whole okay. aphrodisiac thing. So, uh-huh. so types of sugar do play on emotions, right? That's the whole mm. emotional, emotional thing. So, and it can have a positive effect, or it can have a negative, negative effect. So it's the hmm. compounding of so much sugar over time, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I know this is a rare thing, and if you talk to anybody else in the wellness industry they might say the opposite and I, and i agree to an extent but i have seen in my own um personal clientele right um, uh-huh. too much sugar can actually cause depression you know um and and things things like that too much sugar can flip into anger as a part from from deprivation of sugar if you're so used to eating foods that have um, commercial sugars in them because we know mm-hmm. I, one of the things that drives me crazy with my clients and they'll say, well, I can't have this and I can't have this This it has too much sugar in it. And I'll be like, well, no, this actually has less sugar than if you eat an apple because apple has natural mm. sugar. Bro- right. broccoli, broccoli has natural sugar in it. Mm-hmm. So people are looking at supplements to you know which sugars are good, which sugars are bad, because nine times out of ten, everything you put in your mouth, has sugar. It's just a matter of the quantity and the quality, you know. Well, let's so talk sugar about different can, sugars.
1: You know, I mean, i have yeah, about sugar and drive, and you know, yeah, emotions. go ahead. Okay.
6: No, sugar can wow. drive positive emotions and negative emotions.
1: Where, where, where does sugar go? Band, okay, you know, so
6: it, 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 it goes into your go adrenal glands. So, Ooh, so that's just the way it is, is. But yes, there are different sugars. Just like we were talking right. about, you have fructose sugar. You've got uh-huh. sugar from an apple. You've got the synthetic sugar, you've got Splenda, you've got Stevia, you've got the cancer-causing sugars, the equal, the sweet and low. I mean, sugars go on forever, and those are <laughs> additives. You know wow.
1: I mean? I like that. The cancer-causing so sugars, sugar, you know, bleh, the depression sugars. It's, it's fascinating the way that right. you classify these. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, yeah. Makes sense.
6: It's, a, it's like that roller coaster, you know, you, you you get on a sugar high, and then you crash. Just uh-huh. like the statement I made earlier at the podcast, sugar acts like cocaine and says an addiction. Well, I would rather be addicted to having an apple a day versus a candy bar a day. And that's why, by choice, I even weaned myself off of those. For me, I was mentally justifying it, and a lot of people do. Well, if I eat the organic this and that, it's okay. Well, again, compounding effect over time, if I have a pack of those organic gummies once a day, over time, that could could do potential harm to my body. So if I want a pack of gummy bears, I'm just going to go get gummy bears and have one pack once a month, you know, so you have to be careful um, with the types of sugars you're putting in your body. Try to get yourself to crave, crave an apple, crave a pear, crave a papaya, getting your sugars naturally, um, you know, even white potatoes, which I do not encourage people to eat because Mm-hmm. They have, you know, they are not good carbs, in my opinion. Anything white, you should not be eating. You know, That's potatoes, what rutabagas, you know, anything like that. Yeah, white like rice, that.
1: white bread, and white, um, yeah, Yeah, potatoes, yeah.
6: Yeah, um, okay. you know, and, and there are some benefits to white rice, but, but just as a general statement, you know, there are always exceptions to the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nothing is a blanket. And the way they process in your body into glucose and things like that, is not always a good process. So you'd rather get something from an apple or a fruit or a vegetable versus mm-hmm. a candy bear, can, a candy bar, a gummy bear, or something that that's white. So, again, knowledge is power, or you ha- you know you need to connect with somebody that can actually help you work through the sugar challenges.
1: Well, let's talk about. Uh, we, got, we got about fifteen minutes left here, so let's let's kind of dig into uh, a little technical for a second here. So sugar, you you, you ingest sugar. And let's, let's sort of follow through the pathway. i want to get from when you, uh, you know, bite down on your favorite sugar and, you know, infused food, the pathway to the brain. So so you eat the sugar, okay. it gets in your stomach, then what happens? How does this all work?
6: That's, yeah, well, depending, again, on the type of sugar it is, it's going to depend on if it turns into a good sugar or a bad sugar, like in your body, as far as okay. the, the processing, the processing goes. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it heightens the senses, in your, in your brain, um, no matter what kind mm. of sugar it is. That's why when you decide to go off sugar cold turkey, it can affect your mood because it has to do with the chemical imbalances in the brain, in the pituitary gland that actually crave the sugar exactly like marijuana does. Oh. And cocaine. You know what I mean? So it's the same. It can be, it can be the same kind of reaction depending on the type of sugar and what's going on in your body, you know, cause I can eat an apple and a pack of gummy bears and my body may react totally different than your body does, you know, um, because yeah. we're made up the same, but uh-huh. our chemical imbalances in our bodies are different based on what our body has been through, say for me for 53 years, you know? So yeah. it, it just depends on how your body processes those sugars.
1: Are there differences, big differences, male and female, or is it are we all basically, you know, when it comes to sugar, pretty much the same? I know the differences for other things, but uh, you know, weight and where it goes, that kind of stuff.
0: Pretty
6: much the same. Pretty much.
0: Okay.
1: All right. So you've mentioned two organs so far: adrenal and pituitary. So let's 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 play with those a little bit. So adrenal—that's adrenaline. That's fight or flight. That's that's Mm the uh, the hormone that. you know, that, that, that uh, folks are going to get watching sports games, you know, or if they're actually in a life-threatening right. situation, right? Okay, so, right. so what is adrenaline? What is, uh, How does it work, and, and, and how does sugar play into that?
6: Oh, that's, well, that's, that's a very technical question. <laughs> is, that, is that food, a, is that a that next week question?
1: Enough. Should, we, should yeah. we put that that's, down for next that's, week?
6: That's, I mean, there's a lot yeah. of factors that honestly, okay. that play mm-hmm. into that, but you can do your own. I mean, it's easy to experiment on yourself with that huh. based okay. on how do you do that on sugar and then go four <laughs> days without see what happens
1: oh great so you, you know what i mean be, like you know, like
6: yeah you you know. don't have a big meeting I mean, come up
1: when you do this right this would not be a good thing to right? do if you're if you're coming up for a job performance review Okay,
6: <laughs> yeah 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 or if you're someone if you're someone that needs three three teaspoons of sugar
0: mm-hmm.
6: i'm saying sugar i'm not talking about like monk fruit i mean eh, eh, I'll just to say regular sugar. Let's not use any fancy words, right? Regular sugar in your right. coffee every uh-huh. morning. And you get coffee all day day long. Or you need a candy bar at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you know, or if you're someone that really needs sugar throughout the day, okay, try going three days without it and see what happens. You'll become sluggish. You'll become irritable. You might Want to warn the people around you that you might not be the nicest person? Um, you know, try it and see what happens. That's going to tell this you sounds,
3: a lot. This sounds like
1: alcoholism, which is a sugar too.
6: Right. Right.
1: This is what it sounds like. Right. So sugar. I don't yeah, think maybe. we talk about sugar addictions. We talk about well, we've got to lower sugar and inflammation, and that's all true. But this is this is serious. If this is going to your brain. I mean, does the dopamine, the the, the feel good center, does that play into sugar at all? Absolutely. Okay.
6: All, all of the chemicals, like I said, that's why the question you asked me, I can answer it, but it's a very, it's a very technical, you know. We, we've answer got because several you've weeks. Got all the, you know, yeah, all, this, week
0: all the
1: and, chemicals uh, yeah, okay, that
6: play together in your brain, uh-huh. you
1: know. Um, yeah. I don't mind handling complex issues. In fact, I do issues over time all the time. So that's normal okay. for, for us here. We're a very sophisticated audience. Uh, they're, they're great listeners, and uh, they, you know, I think they come here because we take the time to explain complex issues, that we don't treat people mm-hmm. like idiots, that this is not, uh, right. as I was told in radio initially, you know, not, not by, uh, you know, the folks that hired me at uh, WBY, but, uh, you know, it's like the radio thing that you've got to dumb it down. You've got to speak to 12-year-olds. You've got to, uh, you know, have those two-minute sound bites. And it's like, you people are all wrong. I said, there are folks that like long interviews, that like complex topics, that want to think about stuff, that this is, this is the perfect form for doing that. And then, of course, Joe Rogan comes along and gets like 60 million listeners, you know, doing three-hour right. interviews. And he breaks all the rules. Right. Well, we break all the rules, too. And one of the rules I break is that I don't mind taking on the complex, especially if we can make it understandable. If we can't, then that's different. So
6: let's make that, because we only have like 10 minutes to go, we can make that um, a detailed topic for for our next conversation. Okay. That would be fine. And if anybody wants to have any specific questions answered, I'd be happy to do that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's, let's finish up with, uh, with, with Valentine. So recommendations. How would you structure... The the healthiest, emotionally, physically, food wise, Valentine's. What would you do?
6: Oh wow! Okay. Uh, I didn't,
1: there are no easy questions on this show. This is, and just feel yeah, free to speculate. Awesome. Let let your mind wander yeah. and uh, and just, just let piece it together. When I get a question like that, I just do. I start one place. I put another piece in. Of another piece in. Pretty soon, you get an answer. So let's let's do a let's yeah, do exactly. a, an, an ideal Valentine. So I just you know throw the balls back in your court. Um, tell me what you think, whatever comes to mind.
6: An ideal Valentine's Day um, from, a, from a food perspective, from a health perspective? Is that what you're asking me?
1: Mm-hmm. No, any perspective, really. Emotional. Yeah. Let's do food and, food and emotions uh, cause they, and stress because they all play on each other. It's a holiday, so
6: you know, all those things are there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I Mm -hmm. do think Valentine's Day can be one of those treat days, as I said, you know, like with chocolate covered strawberries and you can make nice, great, healthy dinners. You know, somebody out there might not be a seafood person, you know, Mm -hmm. do some grass, grass fed beef, go for a massage, you know, get those. That get that lymphatic system, you know, moving. Make sure you drink your water before and after your, your evening cocktail. You know, there are so many good healthy recipes if you're cooking or if you're going out to make wise, wise choices and have that sweet, you know, indulgence. I'm not a big fan of going out and buying a box of Russell Silver candy. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that happen, and if somebody ever did that for me, they would probably go in the trash can, so that would be a waste of money. No, they're um, going <laughs> to give you a fruit basket. <laughs> they're going to give you
1: a vegetable pack, a yeah. yeah. We're we're going to yeah. get you a salad, you know, or something like that. we will get exactly. you an organic salad. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's right. Which actually that's, that's right. not a bad okay, idea. So, do people do that well, now? You know, are they, they giving you
6: have... Yeah. So you know there are those and I'm and I'm having a brain moment. Those um <sighs> The companies that do flower arrangements, but they do fruit arrangements. Those are very hmm. popular for Valentine's Day. Sending okay. people fruit, fruit basket arrangements that look like a flower pot or looks like things. In fact, I have sent those to my mom, to my aunt, to, you know, ladies in my family for, for Valentine's Day. And, you know, uh-huh. they're not necessarily organic, right? But again, once a year, having that fruit, having something that gets the message across in a healthier way. Um, there are those options to, to do, to do that. And if you're wanting chocolate, go get some chocolate, but make sure you are getting a brand that is clean, you know, and there are a hand like huge human chocolate, H U, huge chocolate, H U. Um, and I'm attempting to get an affiliate link with them as well. Well, their dark chocolate and milk chocolate and all of their goodies are extremely clean. I buy from them. They are an amazing, amazing company. Um, so there are ways to get those Valentine's day treats, um, mm-hmm. in a healthier fashion. Yeah. And yes, well, I can, I can produce ads for them,
1: them too. i so. uh, oh, go ahead. What was that? And I got a call.
6: No, I said, and they probably will cost you more, you know, but if you're doing that, you know, once a year for somebody that you're, you love or you're in a relationship with, you know, is it worth it? You know, if you're wanting more healthier alternatives, I think so.
1: Yeah, what is the cost of not doing it? We're talking about uh, floods yesterday. What is the cost of not preparing for floods to save a little bit of money now, short-term versus long-term? Let me bring on Pianchi here, and uh, we've got a few minutes. We can run a few minutes overtime, too. So it's uh, we're not strictly limited, but I try and reasonably keep it depending on what's going on. Yesterday, we ran like half an yeah. hour overtime. Pianchi, you're oh, on okay. with CJ. Welcome to uh,
2: um, Wellness Watch. I was just listening. She has some very encouraging and and valuable information she's disseminating. Great mm-hmm. Do you deal have a question?
1: Do you got a question for her? I mean, feel free.
2: No, I haven't a question. I mean, I'm learning.
1: Okay, well good. Well, CJ's new to the show and she's she's going to be I knew immediately that I wanted to have her on for a regular report. Uh, that didn't take any time at all. And so uh, I I really have a strong commitment to to wellness, to getting out of uh, you know, petroleum medicine, you know, and the uh, you know, the as we the government you know, protocols, all that kind of stuff. There's just so much out there, so much knowledge. And I figure it's a public service that we're doing here by doing this. So if you have a question, feel free. Um, CJ, I guess back to you. So we've got, uh, we got a couple of different brands here. So these brands, are they as commercially viable? Do they not have the budget? Is there – could we give them tax breaks for being natural? Is this something we could do legislatively that might help some of these companies out? Besides having them sponsor us, which would be nice too.
6: Yeah, yeah, good, good question um mm-hmm. all the above would be nice i'm i'm not i'm not really sure i know like uh, unfortunately um a lot of these alternative companies and products you know you don't see commercials for on tv right you mm-hmm. don't see right. promotions for you know because all they want to do is promote crap you know and stuff that that hurts us and i i'm always very sensitive to the audience cuz i always get backlash on the things that i that i say but
1: not on this show. People, <laughs> well, at least yeah, well, you got a friendly well, audience. You, you still might get something. Yeah. You know, well,
6: saying. I respect where people are financially and budget-wise, right? They'll say, well, I can't afford a nutritionist or I can't do this. Well, it's all it's all a relative, but can you afford to be sick? You know, if mm-hmm. you're going to afford to go buy a 99-cent hamburger, you know, at McDonald's or wherever you're going or a value mail over time, you know, get, get that money together and invest in your health or invest in something that's healthy where these healthier brands they are not you don't know about them because they are not advertised they are not given the funding and the backing all this like I keep using the word crap because it's just crap um on tv <laughs> that's fine. or on the, on the, on the radio wh- whatever that are being advertised the this is stuff that's being pumped you know by by the kellogs by the brands that are probably backed backed by the rockefellers and all these things so you got to You've got to go back and then you've got to backpedal and then you've got to backpedal some more to say, where's the funding coming for, for the advertising for these companies that are trying to give you things that are not clean and not healthy for your body? Okay, so why don't we see advertising for go buy yourself some organic apples or, you know, huge chocolate is so much better for you than going to buy a Hershey's bar because relatively speaking, anybody can go out and buy a Hershey bar, right, from their active checkout counters. At the grocery at the grocery stores, unless you're shopping at a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's, which still Mm -hmm. I've watched so many things where Whole Foods products are not all that. There's very lots of products at Whole Foods that you should not be buying. I mentioned some of the snack products earlier. When I go down their aisle, everything is full of canola oil and sunflower oil, and you think it's good because it's in those type of stores or it has those buzz buzzwords on it. So where is the where is the funding? Where are the advertisements for cute chocolates for yum -er earth candies for specials for for valentine's day you don't see promotions for that you'll see some of those products at a trader joe's or at a whole foods but if you're not knowledgeable enough to read those labels and to know what is good you just think because you're in a trader joe's or a whole foods or um i don't even know what other markets out there i'm just saying the ones that are close to me that every, mm-hmm. because you're in that store you can buy every item in that store and it's okay for you because it's in that store right but that's uh, that's, a false, that's a false statement, you know? So um, going back to your question, people don't know about these brands and these products and these options because it's not being out put out in the public space. They don't want you to know about these cleaner alternatives because Hershey's can get now, which is still expensive, whatever, a twenty five from you for a Hershey's bar versus mm-hmm. you going and spending $2.50 on a huge chocolate bar. Which have better ingredients for you that's much richer that, you know, you'll probably only need a small amount to satisfy you for a while, and that candy bar might last you three days.
1: Yeah, so, I have um...
6: – Does that make sense?
1: It makes perfect sense. My favorites, uh, just commercially, uh, Ghirardelli, because I used to live near the factory, I know those are pretty good. Uh, and Lint, the, the Swiss chocolate. Those are probably the good ones commercially. But Publix, for example, and out um, in California, we used to have stores that are starting to get the gourmet chocolates. And I don't, I don't remember you probably, but there's certain brands, and you look at them, and it's like, you know, uh, organically harvested cocoa beans, processed naturally, and all and It's like, whoa, and it does taste better. And that, that's the thing, too, is you don't need as much of it. So what I'm thinking... Wow. Well. Um, go ahead.
6: I'm going to bust your bubble. Those two brands are not good for you if you okay, read the because, ingredients.
1: So. Because? Tell well, me which ingredients. Read, read what should it. It look? I mean,
6: I don't, I don't have the ingredients here in my home here because I don't buy the buy the product. But just look at the ingredients. There's well, a lot of stuff. Well, let me walk over and uh,
1: hang on. we got a couple of minutes. Let me, let me put my uh, headphones down. I'm going oh, to mute some? myself here for a sec. Yeah. Let's talk to me okay. for a second. I'll go, I'll go get one of the bars. Let's read the ingredients.
6: That would be great because I don't have any of those in my home, so I can't I cannot tell you.
1: Okay, I will so, in a second. Hold on, I'm muting myself. Be right back.
6: Okay, that sounds that's good. Well, I hope everybody is uh, benefiting somewhat from this podcast today. I always say podcast because I'm used to being on a podcast, so I should say on this radio show. Um, if anybody has any questions at all, you guys can email me at h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. Um, and I can answer any of your questions or you can station with me and I would be happy to help. <clears throat> I hope everybody takes some of those suggestions for Valentine's Day, especially the fruit. Lots of people like fresh fruit bouquets, so that's um, that's a great idea for you to utilize. I'm trying to think Ooh, of the name it. of the what was company.
1: It? it was a great idea. I'm sorry, I'm back now. <laughs>
6: um the the fruit the fruit bouquets. For uh-huh. Valentine's Day. I was trying to think of the name of the uh, name of the company, and I'm sure I'll think about it as soon as okay. you know, we get off these. Send me a message. I'll post it on, the, it on Facebook, and
1: uh, you can pick it up there.
6: Okay. There's okay. another so, good um, chocolate brand called Evolved. It's E-V-O-L-V-E-D. Mm-hmm. And I do buy that, and I have those ingredients here. It's like organic cocoa, organic coconut sugar, organic cashews, and organic cow butter. That's it. There's like
1: four ingredients in this, and it's amazing. Okay. So it evolves. I'm writing all these chocolate brands down because I'm going to be starting to obviously either mail order or request them from my stores. So let's go with Ghirardelli, the San Francisco traditional favorite chocolate. It says unsweetened cocoa, unsweetened chocolate, excuse me, uh, cocoa, butter, cane sugar, milk fat, vanilla extract, natural flavors, and then they have soy lecithin. So that's probably the problem. That's the the, thing. That's like an emulsifier that makes it smooth. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what soy does? Okay.
6: Yeah. So so yes, that's the problem? Yes, um, problem. you don't have any organic ingredients in there. And okay. it also is telling you that there are natural flavors added. And there's natural flavors added in a lot of things. But, again, mm-hmm. that's a whole detailed conversation. You have to be very wary of where those natural flavors are coming from because natural flavors are something that are added. So, like, when I read that evolved to you, there were four ingredients in there and nothing said natural flavors. So, natural flavors are something that they add to a product to make it taste good, and you don't know what those natural flavorings are.
1: That makes sense. Okay, well, good to know. This is I'm, I'm glad you're here. So let's go with Lint, the Swiss chocolate, uh, with the nice friendly man on the back. With the, uh, someone first pour a drink.
6: <laughs> I, I did. I that. poured some water.
1: Oh, I heard I'm that. Like, I need some
6: water.
1: That's okay. Go for it. Yeah, but everything the, the mic picks up everything, so. We hear dogs bark. We hear birds in the background. We hear all kinds of stuff. So you got your friendly Swiss chocolate maker. You know, you got the the, the white dude with the big white hat and the white jacket, to, to, and he's making chocolate. And he looks very official. So, Lint from Switzerland, chocolate, cocoa butter, cocoa powder, processed. Oh, here is the probably the problem: processed with alkali uh, and then sugar. Yep. And so, okay. Yeah. So tell them, tell them about alkalis and sugars. This is this is ninety percent cocoa. This is pretty high up on the scale.
6: Yeah. Well, again. So that old cliche, which I don't like, lesser of evils, right? If you have that between a choice of that and the Hershey's bar, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's, it says processed in there, you know, and you don't okay. know it doesn't tell you what, where the sugars are coming from. So what kind mm. of sugars are in there? Mm. You know, I, Could it be, I don't have that answer.
1: Hopefully it's not high fructose corn syrup. Now don't they have to say if it's high fructose corn syrup?
6: Again, think, think about the regulations, how strict are the regulations when, You know, a lot of things, and I just mentioned this since this is part of my wheelhouse, that people are drinking Uh protein shakes. They go to Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, they go buy a protein drink, it says grass-fed. Well, there's no regulations, there's no certifications, there's no um, certificate of analysis. They can sprinkle a little bit of grass-fed protein on the top of whatever's in that can and call it grass-fed. There's no regulations. So, you know, to say, um, is it standard? Is it regulated? Is it this? You know, okay, maybe. But think about how lax those standards and qualifications and regulations are.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing I'm thinking that uh, might help, it's it's a little different, but uh, one of the bills I wanted to work on is to get rid of all the agricultural, what they call price supports. In other words, during the Depression, Mm -hmm. to keep sugar farmers, wheat farmers, corn farmers in business, uh, they would actually pay them uh, to not grow to lower the supply so it increased the price so they'd all stay in business. So they actually subsidized so they didn't have to worry about the money they weren't making by not growing. They'd get paid for not Mm -hmm. growing and and then the the price would keep up. We still have those things from the depression. There's no reason for any agricultural price support whatsoever. Uh, If we did that, uh, if we, if we got rid of those, then the prices of certain things would go up, corn, sugar, things like that. So the price of sugar went up. Would that be more discouraging or would these companies that are getting uh, the lower price sugar, uh, or for whatever reason they're getting it, um, would that make it, you know, I guess if their production costs go up, then it might be different for them. They might not be as, as viable. And some of these other companies that don't use as much processed sugar would, uh, or, or not, none at all, uh, might have a better advantage right. in the marketplace.
6: I mean, right. I, I don't know. Like I, that we I, can go, you know. Well, yeah. we can go into the whole topic with the, with the sugar thing, too, like with, and how many people mm-hmm. are addicted to, to sodas and what that does, you know, to the brain. I mean, the whole, and people learning, about healthy al- alternatives, you mm-hmm. know. So, okay. um, I mean, this is a very in depth in depth topic. And again, I think February um, is a great month to kind of have that as part of the the topic of con- conversation. So, mm-hmm.
1: we'll start the next week. We'll start. We'll trace sugars pathway through your body. Uh, through the different organs and what it does, and, and take your time and, it would, and however many weeks to take to tell that story. You don't have to do that the whole show because we get technical the whole show. We won't get our, our we we'll lose our spontaneity and our fun. But just let's, let's have that as a, as a kind of like a recurring topic of just kind of trace where sugar goes. Um, Pianki, do you have a, a last question? And then I'll uh, we'll go do contact information again and we'll tie it up for today. Pianchi?
2: no, I have no questions. I was gonna. I can wait till tomorrow to pass some information on to you, but nice show.
1: I'll be around. Thank you. Yeah, today was really fun. Uh, Thank you, CJ. First regular report. May there be many more. We have lots to talk about. This is so much fun. Um, So let's get your your email once again. Anything else you want to say? And then we shall uh, come back next week.
6: Yeah, yes. So my email again is h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. Just put in the subject line, Action Radio, that way I'll know that that is how you were able to connect to connect with me and got the information. And I hope everyone has a very healthy and happy and fun Valentine's day next week. And I will look forward to speaking with everybody next Thursday.
1: Sounds good. Yeah. And don't stress that everybody. And the best thing, go celebrate on a different day. (laughs) Don't, Don't go on Valentine's day. Yeah, go, go the day before. You'll, you'll have the, the best time that you get the best service, and, and you'll have a non-stressful time, and you can have healthier foods, and you'll just be better shape. Thank you, CJ. Absolutely. I'll talk to you next week. You're welcome. Yeah. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. All right. Bye now. So that's it for today. I'll be back tomorrow, 7 uh, o'clock. And tomorrow, well, actually, yeah, we're still working on reports. So it may possibly be 6, depending on what's happening, but uh, certainly by 7 a.m. Central Time, I have a report. We've got, um, we've got Rebecca... Uh, who's going to come and tell her story of, of uh, COVID. And so I'll, I'll, we'll get more details on her there. She's a lot of folks have lost people to COVID to the, the hospitals, to the problems. And so we're going to have a bunch of folks uh, because I want their stories out there. And if they've got the courage to, to say it, to tell their story, uh, I'm certainly going to put them on the air and let them tell their story. So we'll have Rebecca on tomorrow at eight o'clock. We've got uh, our, our usual folks and we've got Derek and uh, I'm still checking on uh, Shirley with the DC project women and guns report. Because she's been really busy lately, so we'll see what's going on there. Um, but uh, otherwise, either six or seven central time tomorrow, I'll be back. And then, of course, next week we've got more guests, more more stuff happening. This show, uh, we're just we just it just keeps getting better. It just does all the things that we're able to accomplish. So take care. Uh, look at the state of the union with skepticism. Review the uh, the alternative responses, and have yourself a great day. And I'll be back tomorrow morning. Oh, again, our website's blogtalkradio. Com/slash/citizen action for the show writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E. Writeyourlaws.com. For our legislative stuff, we have our, our my Substack. I've got to write an article today. Uh, GregPenglis.Substack.com. And then, of course, our, our contribution site, givesengo.com slash action radio. And I will talk to you all uh, tomorrow. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic, and is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around health care, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Grave Care. And now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. And this is when I don't have my button ready. <laughs> so I got to come back on the air here for a second. Oh, there it is. Uh, no, that's not it. This is the one I want. All right. Be right back. Uh, actually, I won't. I'll be back tomorrow. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash Action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.